Ho ho, very funny. Ha ha, it is to laugh. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages above 12. Let's have a line. Um, this is Duncan and Bo come correct. This is episode 11 in a heated, uh, right now we are tied and I will, uh, first introduce my co-host Duncan Roadhouse McLeish. <laughs> Roadhouse? How did, how did I acquire that nickname? I was thinking about a nickname, uh, for you last night. <laughs> Roadhouse is what you came up and with And Roadhouse is where I landed I don't know if it's going to stick So I'm just going to keep rotating through a few I think <laughs> Until one catches on I do like Roadhouse though I think it I, 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 You know Like that's a good nickname if you're in a bar It, it is It is Just like Big Swinging Dick Is a good nickname to have if you're a porn star Yes Which <laughs> Ironically I don't think either of us could attest to But Fair <laughs> well, that's a cold country here, Bo. Yeah, um, there's shrinkage. I get it. It's it's plenty warm here. I'm just a lot of Irish. Um, <laughs> uh, God damn you, Ireland. And and also Aaron Gobra. Um, you know, try to keep it a, on even keel here. So, uh, today's subject is comedy. Uh, as as is want on this show, uh, Duncan and myself have each chosen a comedy motion picture that the other has not seen to uh, to reveal to the other. Um, in this case, uh, we are discussing uh, Four Lions, a movie about inept terrorists, and kind of eh, well, get into it. And uh, my pick for Duncan is Harold and Maude. Um, truly one of the great cinema achievements and uh, an undeniable winner. So we'll get into that later as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's Cat Stevens, Duncan. Cat Stevens sings all through that movie. Uh, anyway, uh, before we get into that, uh, first we like to discuss what we've been uh, what we've been watching. But uh, even prior to that, Duncan, I just want to say uh, before uh, the battle begins. Uh, I want to I want to give a a special thanks uh, for appearing on the the first episode of Hero Hero Go Show, um, which is now available. That's not just a cheap plug, but sincerely, like you always make a podcast better because you're on it, and oh, it was it was a wonderful treat to to uh, as I said in the in the Facebook page to kind of crack the champagne across the bow of that show. Um, and yeah, I, I sincerely appreciate it. And you were great, and um, now I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun to do. It was a a true heavyweight of Japanese cinema, one that I've never actually discussed on any show that I've ever done, um, which is kind of mind blown. But I think we've talked about this before about how people sometimes overlook the importance of a movie like Audition, and we'll jump to movies like The Grudge or Ring, um, or things like that. But it, it was it was Truly awesome and at the same time revolting to revisit that movie and get a chance to talk about it. And when your show finished, um, I was listening back to it, uh, which is excellent. I can't recommend it enough. People need to go out and check uh, Hero Hero Go Show. Fantastic addition to the Legion Podcast Network. And when it finished, my, my mind just kind of raced through the amount of titles that are potential shows in Hero Hero 
Go Show, and I genuinely was more excited about the future of that show than any other show that I listened to. Because we said it before, Asian horror is woefully underrepresented by Western podcasts. I would like to think that there, there are Asian horror podcasts out there helmed by Asians. Um, but, you know, obviously not speaking the lingo <laughs> make it a bit difficult to listen to. But the, the fact that there is such a wide variety of, of styles and countries and because you're looking at the whole you're not even closing in on just slashers or ghost movies you're doing the full range so you're going to get into horror comedies the absurd and some of those countries do absurd horror movies on a scale that no other countries do i I can't i genuinely can't wait to listen to it's a fantastic show and it's going to have a fantastic future thanks man yeah we're definitely doing house uh which (laughs) speaking of absurdity uh, and in fact, actually, by the time you listen to this, the episode for Tokyo Gore Police will be out. And yeah, there's I I would argue that that movie does not take itself too seriously. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's but uh, yeah, it, but that'll be fun. Um, so let's talk about what we've been watching, Duncan, because you and I have both seen a movie that may be at the top of our lists. Uh, so what is the best thing you have seen, uh, since we last spoke and also the worst? Right. Well, the best thing I have seen is not the one I'm going to talk about because it's an unfair advantage because currently I am rattling through the entire David Cronenberg back catalog. So I've been treated to some. Right. And Cronenberg off the table here. Yes. We're both watching that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Cronenberg off the table. I checked out a movie I did not, I, I knew nothing about this at all, and it just hit my Netflix. And I don't know why I didn't know anything about it because the director is a director that I greatly admire, and I like his two other efforts into the genre being Absentia and Oculus. But the movie's called Hush, and it was picked up directly by Netflix for distribution straight on Netflix. And it's Mike Flanagan, uh, the the guy who um, is the director, and it's his next movie. And he'd been linked to a few different projects, but this is ultimately the movie he put his name against. And I'm going to say it's a must-watch. It's actually... that He's such a good director. I mean, such a good director. Um, I thought it was... I thought it was an interesting, fresh... Once again, he seems to have this idea of taking kind of pre-established ideas, but just kind of modernising them. And he takes the idea of home invasion and slasher and combines them together, but puts this really interesting twist on it. What would happen if the person who was being hunted, the final girl, if you will, um, was a deaf mute? And the guy that was trying to kill her basically got off on the screams of women or screams of his victims, and it was creepy. (laughs) Really, really creepy. Um, It was incredibly well shot, phenomenally acted. It had shades of Your Next through it, but it wasn't as visceral as Your Next, which I think probably benefited the movie, that it it kind of focused more on this one event. We kind of know that the guy's done other things in the past, but this is this one event captured there. And uh, I don't want to spoil it, but um, if you are into your horrors, um, or if you're into just movies that are really well shot with an interesting narrative, um, 
you really need to check out Hush. I, I, I'm kind of hoping this is the movie you wanted to talk about as well, Bo. Yeah, yeah. I I also like Mike Flanagan's work quite a bit. I thought Absentia was uh, was pretty fantastic, and I thought Oculus was even better. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I would say Hush is better than Oculus. I would agree with that. Um, but like you said, it is it is this weird marriage of a movie like Your Next. And even going back to something like Wait Until Dark um, is the movie it reminded me most of. And, yeah, it's it's a really confident film um, in that it takes a very simple premise and delivers the movie mostly wordlessly. Mm -hmm. And and it has the brains to be a quick in and out. It's, you know, an hour, 20 minutes. And yeah. it is all the movie it needs to be. It makes its point. It It is very tense. Uh, I, I did have one of those moments as I was watching the movie where I actually said out loud, oh, fuck you. Um, <laughs> and it's it, it's the scene with the sliding door. You'll know what I mean if you've seen oh, the movie. Yeah. Where you're just like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. That's a bridge too far, sir. They, um, they, they committed to that and they kept it going. Yeah, and what I really liked about it too, aside from, uh, and I, I can't think of her name now. It's Katie something. The the Katie Siegel mm-hmm. is the uh, the lead actress's name, and she was Marisol in Oculus. She was the the ghost lady. So she was. Yeah, and <sighs> the killer is a guy named John Gallagher Jr. Who it took me a second to place him because he's only ever played nice guys before. <laughs> and he was what? actually you know i mentioned to you on the last episode the movie short term 12 you did indeed yeah yeah he plays the boyfriend the over understanding and an almost too nice boyfriend in that <laughs> and then was also one of the main characters on the newsroom where he also played an incredibly nice guy yeah that's what i that's what i know him from is the newsroom which is a, a show i loved um, yeah i do too really and show. And I, yeah, and I had that connection of like, is that Jim Halpern? And <laughs> he doesn't seem like he would hunt people with a crossbow. Um, oh, yeah. this, this is what happened when the newsroom was sold to a face of uh, right. He just went out on the hunt. He went <laughs> in the woods, got a neck tattoo. Right, right. Got a neck tattoo, learned how to stab people right in the jugular. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, another thing I like about the movie, if there is CGI blood in it, I couldn't spot it. Um, yes, I, I, I kind of, I was looking for things that are, there is bits of CGI in the movie, but they are tastefully handled and very well blended in the, yeah, just, I, I, I was just kind of, I wasn't, I, I expected something overtly cheesy from that movie. When the premise was starting to get set, I was like, oh, here we go. Um, and it really didn't do that. It, it took itself incredibly serious while being, at the same time, in parts, incredibly funny. Um, like, some of the things that... Because I, I like killers in movies that that are human. <laughs> you know what I mean? That make mistakes, yeah. that fuck up, that hurt themselves, that have to get over the fact that they've hurt themselves. And this guy has ample opportunity in the movie to finish things off. But because he's because he doesn't get the reaction he wants in terms of he's not getting her screaming or anything, he is 
basically getting off on the fact that she doesn't know when it's coming at all. She doesn't know when he basically says to her, you know what I mean? You will beg me to finish. You'll beg me to break down the door and come after you. Beg me to kill you. Um, and that, that's, you know, that's what he is getting off on. And she doesn't make it easy for him. And I think that's, I saw, there was a couple of things. The more horrors you watch, the more you are very much aware of things that happen in movies early on. And, sure, uh, sure, sure. I knew exactly how the movie was going to, I knew exactly what was going to be used later on in the movie. Let's put it this way, when they made a big point of it, I knew exactly what was going to be used. But not in a way where my eyes rolled. I was like, that's pretty cool. I, I, like I said, I wouldn't think it's, to me, Oculus, the, the strength of Oculus was that that particular genre, the, the kind of haunted house ghost genre, um, has stagnated quite a bit in the last 10 years. Um, and Oculus to me felt really fresh and energetic and young and important and it had a voice and it was doing something different and it was intelligent and yeah, all, all these things. I don't think that Hush is doing the same. Like I say, Your Next is a movie that came out just a couple of years ago that I, I think did that particular genre better. Um, however, Hush for for the limited cast, for the, like you say, the maybe a total of five minutes dialogue in the movie, potentially, if you add it all up, um, as in, you know, it just, it kept me completely engrossed. It finished strong. The story was great. There is no lag. There is no downtime. It doesn't, it doesn't demand you to pity the main character as well, which is kind of what you want to do at the start. Um, and it just powered right through. And, if this is the beginning of Netflix really pushing into acquiring like horror to put directly out on VOD, um, which looks like it might be a model they're moving towards, less dealing with the uh, distribution companies to do it and just buying the stuff themselves. Um, I'm incredibly excited. And, and once again, can't wait to see what Mike Flanagan does next. Give him a lot of money and you allow him. Whatever that guy wants to do, you should be asking him to do it and giving yeah. him the money to do it. He's a, he's a great director. I, I, I kind of wonder, because this was a Blumhouse production, um, mm-hmm. and I wonder if the deal wasn't... Uh, because Mike Flanagan is still tied to Ouija 2. That's what I heard he was doing, and that kind of upset me a wee bit. But I wonder <laughs> if the deal wasn't kind of in the in the vein of old-school deal-making. Like, I'll do Ouija 2, and I'll do the best I can with that, that <laughs> really hamstrung franchise that you've handed me. Yeah. But you also give me the money to make this other movie that's not going to cost a lot that I really want to do. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I don't think the the movie was uh, probably had a very small overhead. Um, well, if it's Blumhouse, it will. Blumhouse said uh, it's $5 million all in, and that includes marketing, so... Yeah, and but, but Mike Flanagan directed, co-wrote, and edited this movie. <sighs> so it is clearly his film. Yeah. And... Like I said, there, there's a confidence in taking a simple premise and not feeling shy about not having dialogue to propel the story mm-hmm. and instead just being a visual storyteller, which it turns out Mike Flanagan can do in spades. Yeah. And yeah, it's real, real good. I, I like I found myself being uh, caught up in the story and, and, and feeling the tension and all that and. I mean, what can you ask from, you know, what is essentially a home invasion thriller, mm-hmm. but it's elevated by the writing and performances and all that. And, and John Gallagher is the killer, I think is kind of, kind of wonderful. 
Um, it's, it's, that's a really good bit of casting. Like you say, yeah. I've, only, I've only ever seen him in the newsroom, and he is the nicest nice guy on planet nice, <laughs> you know, in that, in that show. So to see him kind of transformed into just a complete dick, um, just everything he does, like obviously he's a killer, so you're not supposed to like him, but everything he does, he's just an absolute cunt. He's an uber cunt. Um yeah, and, and speaking of that word, not to interrupt, I'm sorry, but I'll forget if I don't mention this. When he actually refers to uh, the main character as a cunt at one point in the film, and the look she gives him yeah. <laughs> is so good. Oh, yeah. man. I, I, yeah, I made, that moment made me kind of love this movie right away. Yeah. You know? Like, I, I was... I, I enjoyed it all, and then you get to, to this moment, and I was like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> so that's that was my that was my good, um, my bad. I'm going to jump back to to Cronenberg actually. Um, so for those that don't know out there, the podcast under the stairs do this thing um, called the Round Tables. And it was something I started off to basically pick themes or topics within the horror genre because the podcast under the stairs is a horror podcast. Um, and the original plan was to pick a theme and sit down and discuss it with people that come out from different points of view. So the very first one I ever did was um, horror remakes, good, bad and the ugly. Um, and it was a fascinating discussion and it covered a lot of that. And then I kind of, after doing that, I decided wouldn't it be better to sit down and actually collectively discuss a body of work by an influential director. So the very first one we ever did was Argento. It was a it was a great a great show, and I followed it up with Carpenter, um, and Bo was on on that Carpenter rim table, and that recording went close to five hours. Um, still not was, long it, enough to argue still, how good Elvis is. A much maligned <laughs> film, in my opinion. My favorite bit of that whole recording is when Doug uh, Doug Tilly from No Budget Nightmares says. Uh, <laughs> Johnny Bravo, not Elvis. Um, which <laughs> don't care, don't care. <laughs> but we, we we did that, and it it was fascinating because at the beginning, I think we were all pretty much on point with each other. But when we hit the nineties, that's when people started like drawing the lines in the sand of what movies they they really liked or wanted to defend against other people who were attacking them. Um, and it got it got really really interesting towards the end, and it, it was exhausting to do. It was exhausting. You're talking about thirty odd films to watch, and then oh, it was just it was a long process. So I didn't do one after that last year. Um, I had planned to do one, but I kind of at the last minute I decided it wasn't something that I was going to be able to do. And then this year I got all nostalgic. You forget all the work you've done and just remember the end product. <clears throat> it's sort of like same... having a baby. It's like I don't, I don't remember all the pain. <laughs> I just remember the cute little muffin that we get at the end of this. Exactly, exactly. That'll be me in another couple of years. I'll be like, yeah, let's have another. No, everything was great. My wife will just be giving me the, you know, the kill it sign in the back, you know, <laughs> and right, across right. the shop. Um, but um, I decided that we'd come back and do another one, and if we're we're going to pick another director to, to, to look at. Um, I wanted to pick something a bit more cerebral. Um, but some people would argue, oh, 
in the same leagues as John Carpenter as a, as a genre director, and Cronenberg was the one that I settled on. Um, so we've all been going through, all the ones that are involved with it have been going through his, his back catalogue, and there's a few films that I've never seen before, um, and I pride myself on being... You know, a big Cronenberg fan. Um, and some of the ones I've never seen before have really... I, I wanted to punch myself because they've been excellent and I don't know why I just didn't check them out. Um, other ones are movies I've not seen in years that I've went back to watch and go, this is, once again, why am I not watching this more often? And then there's ones that I've never seen before which annoyed me. Um, and I'm going to talk about one briefly just now because I want to discuss it a bit more when we actually come to do the rim table, which we'll mention like closer to the time. But um, Cronenberg's later catalogue has been less dedicated towards the genre which he comes from, uh, which is the the kind of the, the horror kind of exploitation, um, body horror, venereal horror, whatever he calls it, right? Um, he's kind of moved away from that. But he did a series of movies later on in his career with uh, Viggo Mortensen and they have a great combination of director-actor relationship just like really 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 great stuff but there was one that I'd never seen before um, and it's the one on paper that I thought this is going to be fucking amazing I'm going to love this it's talking about Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung it's got Michael Fassbender oh, in it yeah. Michael Fassbender is playing off against Viggo Mortensen this is going to be the greatest film ever made get in my eye sockets now i cannot wait and it turns out it's shot nice but it's a it's a it's a fairly dull movie i mean for a movie that is dealing with two of the two of the most important psychological minds of all time um it wasn't very good the movie is called a dangerous method um and it basically breaks down the relationship between Carol Jung, played by um, Michael Fassbender, and Sigmund Freud, played by Viggo Mortensen. And basically the beginning of the relationship and where the two just like split off into different fields of psychology and the, the impact of a, a student, a Russian psych, a psychology student, um, who basically sets up this, this breakup. Um, it's not a bad movie. It's just, it didn't feel like a Cronenberg movie at all. I was watching it going, there is no Cronenberg in this movie. Nothing. Didn't, <laughs> the way it was shot, like, the, the way it was directed, nothing felt like Cronenberg at all in it. And Michael Fassbender is great in the movie, and Viggo Mortensen is great in the movie, but it's huge swaths of dialogue, which, even if it was more focused Towards psychology, I think I would have got more out of it, but it, it's kind of it's focused on like just skimming the surface of psychology and trying to address their relationship as friends and their the their, their kind of partner of the ways. Um, and I can see hand on heart, it's the first Cronenberg film that I've ever watched where I started looking at my watch to see how long it had left, and I kind of felt like you know that way where everyone has heroes, everyone has people to look up to. And we like to think that they're they're infallible, and you know there's there's no chinks in the armor, and a little bit of the respect you have for that person goes the first time you see them make a mistake. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know 
what he was wanting to do with this movie at all. Um, well, I think it, it was a bold choice to have both characters only have one line in the movie where they constantly uh, demand to one another that they, you know, tell me about Z-Mother. And that's the only line <laughs> for either character, which is... It, see, see if that see if that was the movie, I would have praised it for its boldness. <laughs> uh, an hour and a half of two guys just asking one question to each other without an answer—that is genius. That is Cronenbergian. Uh, Coming no, this it, fall, it just it, it didn't have that. It was it was a lot of exposition. Every conversation is exposition, um, leading up to the inevitable kind of the inevitable breakdown of that friendship which the movie glosses over really 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 quick and then kind of deals with the after effects in a way which doesn't feel satisfying and then at the end of the movie we get a bit of text that comes up to tell you what happened to uh, Freud what happened to Jung what happened to the the Russian chick um, afterwards and it just felt wholly unsatisfying like re- really unsatisfying when I got to the end and I can say that even even Cronenberg movies, which I'm not particularly huge fans of, there's always a hook. There's always something in there where I'm like, right, well, maybe, maybe this wasn't great, but it's so dark and it's so twisted and the subtext in the movie is incredible and all the rest. And this didn't have any of that at all. Um, it kind of felt like watching, it kind of felt like watching like a, a street play. <laughs> you know, like just kind of like something really superficial. Someone had read the Wikipedia page for Carl Jung and the Wikipedia page of Sigmund Freud, and then decided to make a film about it the following day. It, just, it wasn't satisfying at all. Um, not a, not a bad movie though. Shot well, acted incredibly, just wholly boring. Um, and yeah, that's that's my that's my bad for this week. All right, let me counter your bad. With a a cinematic titan of my own who who dropped a real stinker on us, um, so and my good for the record is also Hush. I, I just to quickly reiterate, you should watch Hush if you are listening to this and like like horror movies in particular or just movies in general. It's it's a good one of those uh, <laughs> of of the movies. Uh, so you should watch it. It really is good. The performances alone are fantastic, and it's only an hour and twenty minutes, and it it sings by it. It is that movie. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch it again. I can see me watching it again in the next yeah. couple of weeks. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Um, yeah, it, it's a movie that I think is gonna be one of those like, oh, I've got to do some other stuff. Let me throw this on in the background and just glance up occasionally at, you know, like, oh yeah, this scene is really good. Oh, this is really well constructed. Oh, I really like how Flanagan set this up. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like setup payoff stuff in that movie. And um, you know, to to paraphrase uh a, a another film critic, um, you may not notice it, but your brain does. Yeah. And Mike Flanagan is the real deal. I'm I'm very excited to to see what he does next. Uh, I would even check out Ouija too, if he's named. Yeah. Oh. I would I would actually watch it, even though I did not like Ouija. Yeah, I'm kind of almost enthusiastic about Ouija 2, even though I don't get, like, I saw Ouija, and that movie is, like, it, it got drummed uh, for being <laughs> god-awful, and I don't actually don't think it's god-awful, I just don't, I think it's very generic and just not very good, 
Um, I don't think it's you know the rotten fruit that other people have have described. Yeah, I, I, I think I think the backlash came out a bit because it got big cinematic release, lots of advertising, and it you know lot lots of bells and whistles put put out there to make you come in and see it, and the experience of it is just wholly banal. It's I, I, yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's not. It, it's shot well. And the actors do a competent job. It's just not. It's just very. It's everything you've seen before. There's nothing in the. It doesn't tackle anything with a fresh perspective. It is just. And we're just saying what what Flanagan does better than most directors is takes things which are a bit boring, a bit banal, a bit generic, and makes them feel fresh. Which right, maybe right. That's why he's been attached to the sequel. Yeah, I mean, imagine if you gave. Because, you know, you don't necessarily need to carry characters over from the original Ouija, at least not more than one or two, maybe. And just hand that to Flanagan and say, you write this, you direct this, do whatever you want to do with a story about ghosts in a Ouija board. Mm-hmm. And I would, I'm on board, you know, like, look what he did with, you know, a haunted mirror, you know, <laughs> like, give him a Ouija board. Let's see what he does with that now. And after that, it's a tea kettle. You know, we just go object to object and see what Mike Flanagan can do to make it scary. Um, we go uh, uh, mirror, Ouija board, tea kettle, stuffed bear, then maybe a seashell. And <laughs> just let him, you know, whatever object. that That's his pitch meeting. So it's just like this paperweight. This paperweight could be frightening. Um, but all right. So here's the really crappy movie I saw recently. And it hurts my heart to say this, Duncan. I say this with no glee. But I saw Ron Howard's In the Heart of the Sea. Ah, right. I've not, I've not seen it. I've, I've not seen it. Really? Is, is this the first chink in the armor that you've had for Ron Howard? It's not the first chink in the armor. There, ha- there have been multiple uh, issues with his production of late. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think back to this is the Ron Howard that also did, you know, Parenthood and Gung yeah. Ho and... I mean, the, the number of movies that he has done that have been tremendously entertaining um, are are legion. I, I oh, yeah. really like yeah, yeah. Ron Howard. And, yeah, so, you know, when he does the, uh, like, the Angels and Demons stuff, which I don't think are very good movies, um, you know, that's kind of a bummer. In the Heart of the Sea is worse than those. Oh. Yeah. And and I'll tell you, it it manages to be worse and still have Brendan Gleeson in it. Oh no, no, I will not hear of a movie which is not good that has our sweetheart, DPCC's yes. sweetheart, Brendan Gleeson. <laughs> America's America's treasure, you Brendan can't, Gleeson. You can't, you can't, no, you're not we, getting to claim Brendan Gleeson. We have already it. planted that flag. Um, he is ours. Uh, no, Brendan Gleeson <laughs> plays the last survivor of the Essex, which is the ship that um, Moby Dick is based on. And the, the structure of the movie is that Herman Melville has tracked him down and is paying him to tell this story because uh, Melville had heard it long ago and, and had become obsessed with it, but no one has heard the full story. All the, the official story is that um, the Essex ran aground and that there were, you know, only a handful of survivors. And so Brendan Gleeson throughout the course of the film is telling the story of, no, we, you know, went out into uh, the middle of the Pacific into kind of these whale breeding grounds. And there 
protecting that was the the whale that Moby Dick is fashioned after this you know gigantic sperm whale that um exhibits intelligence and and aggressiveness towards the ship as it infringes upon these breeding grounds and so that's kind of the movie i expected what i didn't expect duncan is surprise cannibalism and there is about half the movie that is concerned with just cannibalism Bo, at the moment you're selling this movie to me right but it's not as cool as you want it to be it's not ravenous cool then is that no not by a long shot it is like, hey, we've got now. We now have dudes trapped in these whaling boats, as you know, like the main ship, the Essex, has sunk. So they're trying to survive on these on the whaling skiffs. Yeah, and at, over time, they decide like we're going to have to eat some people, and that's kind of the back end of the movie. Is like, who are we going to eat? But you don't ever see them really eating anybody. It's no. just a lot of talk about it. <laughs> and and there's there's more talk about eating people than I expected or needed without the payoff of like oh this has gotten gruesome and it's just a whole bunch of who cares the whole yeah. movie is just one big pot of who could give a shit and it's it's really unfortunate because I like the story of Moby Dick the idea of doing you know like a you didn't know the real story kind of thing mm-hmm. um which I also vic- saw Victor Frankenstein and they do the same shit there of like, well, let's tell you the real story. And Victor Frankenstein probably would have made this list if I hadn't seen in the heart of the. Yeah, Victor Frankenstein is a movie that does not have a clue what it wants to be. There, I want has the ultimate. Yeah. It, it, it actually, funnily enough, mimics the monster. Really, the monster is like a a humdrum mash of you know Frankenstein's monster was just like a, a humdrum mash of different parts, of, and it, that's what the movie feels like. It feels like just different ideas that have just been stuck together and struck by lightning in the hope that it's going to create goodness. <laughs> yeah, there there are glimpses of a really good movie in, in Victor Frankenstein. Agreed. And, and it's kind of a bummer that at the end of it, it's <laughs> it's sort of my impression of the Batman v Superman, like, your your mom's name is Martha? My mom's name is Martha. Let's be friends. <laughs> like, the, the scene in Victor Frankenstein where you realize, like, oh, he's just trying to bring his brother back to life metaphorically... Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't think landed real well, and, yeah. and and God bless James McAvoy for trying to sell it. Like I think he's really good in the movie. Yeah, once again, James McAvoy's at, like Brendan Gleeson is an actor who seldom does anything wrong, even when they're in movies which are bad. Yeah, yeah, and and Brendan Gleeson is good in 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 the heart of the sea in the same way that James McAvoy is good in Victor Frankenstein. They are better than the material that they're given, and they do what they can with it. And and Brendan Gleeson isn't the star of In the Heart of the Sea. In fact, that is uh, Thor. Um, and I defy you, Duncan. And maybe this is the point in the movie where I realize, like, oh, things are not well. Um, I defy you to tell me where anyone's accent in this movie comes from. <laughs> It is all over the place. Not with Google Maps could you find a place where the accents that are being tossed about in this film could be could spawn from. It is, yeah. it's a mess, and and poor Chris Hemsworth, like he is a good looking dude and should be Thor because he has a you know a, a pretty good sense of comedy timing and and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And uh, I don't know that I want him to pick up heavy dramatic roles, especially if he has to do an accent. Because, ugh, 
Oh, Duncan, that is <laughs> that is a hard road to hoe. Um, <laughs> it it hurt. It hurt. Uh, so yeah, I would I would not. And there's a whole lot of CGI in the movie, which is a bummer. Where you can kind of tell during some of the big you know ships at sea with storms and and squalls blowing in and stuff. It's just like this just looks like a big video game and it should feel more visceral. Like at no point did I ever get swept up in the idea of like, Oh, we are, you know, I am along with these characters lost in the Pacific and how will we we survive? It was just like, so when is going to, the whale going to show up again to gloat? Cause the whale does that a couple of times, just pops in and is like, sup, you guys look like you're hurting. Good. And then disappears for 30 minutes. <laughs> and then spoilers, the the big resolution to the whale storyline is that uh, there's only a, a few folks left and the whale uh, reappears uh, as if to finish off the job. And Chris Hemsworth has his big whaling spear. And then they lock eyes and Chris Hemsworth is like, why? It's a living thing. Perhaps we shouldn't kill it. And oh, then the whale, well, right. And then the whale goes away. <laughs> It's just like, well, I, okay, I guess we're cool now. We're bros. What? So, yeah. Oh, I know. I know. I watched it. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, so that that was a real bummer because I, I like the subject matter. I like the director. Uh, it, it's, it's a real shame that that movie is not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, shall we turn our attention now to movies that are very good? Yes, I think we should. I think people out there have stuck with us um, long enough. <laughs> I think yeah. when we said that this was going to be a really good episode, we then mentioned what the two movies are. I think people from that point onwards have only wanted to hear us talk about the two movies that we're going to discuss. So I think we should not wait any longer and just dive head first in. Right. They're, yeah, they're like, look, enough of your hush love. <laughs> I do love oh, hush. Yeah, and and honestly, there's part of me that wants to title this episode "Gushing About Hushing." Uh, <laughs> you need to do it now. Yeah, yeah, I really like it. Uh, but the first film, and it, one quick reminder: on the table uh, is the Winter Beast, which is the the wild card of this show. <laughs> Aye, on is, the table for me is the winner. Yes. You, sir, have already played yours. Yes, it is an automatic win. I have used mine and uh, against the conversation, which, you know, it was a must, must kind of win situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to show the stakes here, we have three episodes left. The The last one being Duncan and Bo Come Incorrect, where we choose a, a wonderfully bad movie for one another. <laughs> and uh, so... We're in a really sticky situation where you, using a Winter Beast, have a guaranteed win. Mm-hmm. Which means I have to win two of the next three episodes. Yes. And, uh, and but I still feel good about today. We're, we're going to hash this out. I still feel like we're going to either see a Winter Beast or I'm going to get a point. Uh, <laughs> but But before we do that, before we do that. It is it is up to you, Duncan, to introduce your pick for me, Four Lions. So uh, quit screwing around and let's get to this. Okay then, right then. This is uh, the first 
Um, <laughs> this is the first movie we're talking about. I'm just still baffled by what you said in the previous the previous sentence here. Uh, <laughs> just like oh you know, yeah, I'm wily. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna see sentence construction today. That's gonna spin your head, Duncan. <laughs> Tell me about your mother. <laughs> Tell me about your mother. Tell me about your mother. Tell me about your mother. She just recorded an hour and a half of that. (laughs) And instead of a dangerous method, you call it a dangerous line. Oh my God. How long do you think it would be before people started switching off the show? Or skipping ahead like 20 minutes to hear the same lines being said? Yeah, I I mean, I think that would be a real, like, are they honestly going to do this for 90 minutes kind of? situation i don't think yeah they don't know us but we will do it for a full 90 minutes (laughs) yeah yeah we've got that kind of commitment to our (laughs) art right so the first movie up my pick for you under the comedy bracket is four lions from 2010 directed and written by christopher morris uh he of the it crowd fame Uh, did you ever check out the it crowd did that make its way over yeah 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 I've, i've seen some of it yeah, well, that's that's the, the that's his um, pedigree. It basically comes from that show. Um, this today is his, I believe, his only feature movie he's ever done. He has done a bit of acting. He, he does a lot of music videos and a lot of work to do with music. Um, I think he may be a musician himself, but this is his, his really his one and only movie. And, like I say, written and directed by him. Uh, the movie has uh, Riz Ahmed... Asher Ali, eh, Nigel Lindsay, Kai Van Novak, Adir Akhtar, I think that's not Ad- Admiral Akhtar. It's Admiral Akbar, isn't it? That's not funny. Don't laugh, Bo. Don't you just glaze over it. Glaze over it. I think you're showing a, a bit of cultural intolerance, but go ahead. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, because my country's known for having a, a candidate that's running for office that wants to build a giant fucking wall. Um, right, and anyway. I think you should be ashamed of it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well played, sir, well played. Uh, right, the, the synopsis as listed on IMDb for this movie, short, sweet, and right to the point, just says, four incompetent British jihadists set out to train uh, for and commit an act of terror. Um yeah, I chose this one on my list because I genuinely think this is one of the funniest movies that's come out in the last decade. Like, no joke. I think this is absolutely amazing. I think it deals with a subject matter which, to the best of my knowledge, no other movie has ever tackled before, even remotely. Um, and it does it in a a very serious tone. Like, it's played very seriously, but the characters are imbeciles, um, which is where the humour comes from. Right, lads, this is an emergency. They found Fessel's head. The head that you buried five feet underneath your shed fell out of a tree onto a dog. Good. Dogs contradict his law. Dibble is onto us, lads. Dibble is onto us. I told you it was a knee. That was a head. It was obviously a head. It had a hinge. Right. So I've just seen Matt. Right, Matt is running the London Marathon tomorrow. He's doing it in costume. Right, you know they're doing it in costume. Right, well, so can we. We can we can disguise the gear in there, and it's perfect. We got we got live TV, prime targets all along We've the. We've got room. a target, Omar. It's the Musk. Right, when you meet God, do you want to tell him I struck a blow for the brothers, right, or that I blew a load of them up? Blew a load of them up. He'll love that. He'll get it. This to me is the the choice of this when you chose it could go one of two ways. I either thought you will watch this and fall in love with it, or you will watch it and be wholly offended by it. Bo, 
What side of the fence did you land on? Uh, I'm offended by how bored I was. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I really like Four Lions, uh, just to get that out of the way. I think it's a very funny movie. Um, I It reminded me a lot, and, and you probably know this, but it, it's an obscure reference in the States. But there was a point where I think it was on uh, the comic strip, the BBC series, when the guys who did the young ones did a, a bit about a band called Bad News. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this movie reminded me so much of that. Of let's get the, the dumbest possible musicians in a room and hear them talk about recording an album. And it's the same premise, only instead of musicians, they're terrorists. Um, but it, it is that kind of dry, sometimes very aggressive humor that I really, really like. Um, yeah, I thought it was tremendously funny. I mean, the, the story of the film is, is that you have, um, Omar, who is the most competent, uh, (laughs) of the four in the film. And with Omar, uh, he has an uncle in Pakistan. And he is kind of waiting to get the green light for uh, for he and his buddy to go to an honest-to-goodness training camp. Mm-hmm. And sort of Omar's big rival in the group is the best character in the movie. Oh, he's amazing. <laughs> uh, which, yeah, which is a, a, a an actor named Nigel Lindsay playing a character named Barry. And Barry is uh, the least... Uh, ethnic of the group. He is clearly a a white British citizen who has adopted the mantle of uh, being an an Islamic extremist. And the thing that I think is really interesting about the movie as a whole is that there are, like Omar's brother is a Muslim as well and is a very traditional Muslim and is clearly the character that we're supposed to, as an audience, think like, oh, this guy seems okay. And he does. He, you know, he's, the traditions of, of Islam are not the traditions of the West necessarily, and there are some issues with, you know, feminism and things like that that, you know, are still at odds with that culture. But he's also very much the guy who's like, you know, just come and pray, and this is all about love, and there seems to be, you know, at one point he's in Omar's house, and, uh, tells him, you know, th- it, it feels like there's violence in this house, which leads to a very funny scene with water guns. But yes, um, and that's kind of the story of this movie, right? Is that every every scene starts off with a, a a hint of truth, and then takes that truth to the most absurd conclusion. Yeah, and uh, so anyway, so Omar and Barry are kind of uh, at odds. Omar goes with I can't remember the character's name now that goes with him to Pakistan. It's Hassan. Hassan. Okay, so Omar and Hassan go to Pakistan. Um, Hassan, in particular, is a real fuck up. Uh, it could, just because he's stupid, he like yeah, he's slow. He's very yeah. Slow. That is the colloquial term to for he's probably mildly retarded in some way. <laughs> and and he's a very funny character. And he's very likable and very good hearted. And um, so they go to to Pakistan to go to this training camp. They're about to get booted out of the training camp for uh, Hassan. 
essentially doing a, a dance in front of his cell phone uh, yeah, takes, and, and firing a, an AK-47. He takes a video for himself, shooting an AK-47 in the right. air, which he's going to send back to Barry to basically like wind up Barry, who's not allowed to go. Right, and in the process of doing so, not only is he firing a gun, but he's using a cell phone signal that can trace... Uh, that, uh, you know, the coalition government can trace back and, and bomb this terrorist training camp. So, uh, Omar and Hassan are left back at the camp as the rest of the camp goes to meet the emir. And sure enough, a drone comes along and Omar convinces Hassan that this is the time by saying, listen to your heart. Don't listen to your head because your head's dumb. Listen to your heart. And what should we do? And they're like, we should take down this drone. So they get a rocket launcher and try to shoot down the drone, but instead they have it turned around so that it blows up the Amir and all the <laughs> all all the uh, high level uh, terrorists in the area. So so they fuck off out of Pakistan in a hurry, and Barry meets them at the airport. Is like, you guys fucked up, and I know that because you showed back up. With no luggage. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and so they decide that they're going to cook up their own terrorist plot. Um, Omar is is meeting with, on, through an online Puffin-based chat room. Which is very funny. Um, to get instructions. And ultimately they decide that they are oh and they also recruit um barry recruits another young uh, muslim gentleman um and i can never remember anybody's names in this movie i'm i'm really <laughs> terrible uh it's watch yeah well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the other he character gets, yeah he gets he gets brought in because he stages a kind of defiant fake act of terrorism during a debate that Barry goes to for some reason, right. uh, which has a politician on the panel and all the rest, and he stands up and starts doing a rap. <laughs> right, and then explodes funfetti bombs. Or silly string bombs, essentially. And oh. and the great thing about that whole scene is Barry as the, the voice of the Muslim community, which he should never be for obvious reasons. Um... <laughs> saying like you know you in the west would love it if we had training camps and they're like well you do have training camps and he's like yeah but if you listen to me my point is you would love it that we do yeah he's like even if we even, did if we didn't you would invent them yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's and our, so another thing about this movie that i quite like is that this movie fires jokes at the screen so fast yeah like it it is um, the other thing it reminded me quite a bit of is in the loop. Yes, uh, it's very, um, it's very much like in the loop actually, which came out the year before, I think. Yeah, and and that movie is like the two are very similar in that they just keep peppering jokes at the audience. Um, confident in the fact that if only one out of five jokes land, that's still a ton of jokes that you're going to be laughing at. Um. So yeah, so our 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 foursome, uh, well, fivesome at this point with Faisal, uh, and Faisal is also like all the characters in in this movie are presented aside from Omar and Barry, and even Omar to an extent, but but like Waj and Faisal in particular, uh, 
uh, and Hassan are, are like all, all three very like good hearted people. Yes. And, yeah, and, yeah. and you really do get the impression that they're kind of being talked into this. And there, there are moments throughout the movie where you get hints as to why they're doing this, that they're kind of disenfranchised and, and persecuted to one degree or another. And, and, and in some cases just very simple and, and are easily led, uh, and that, that sort of thing. Um, but they decide that they're going to, uh, stage their own terrorist act and Barry proposes that they bomb a mosque <laughs> so that, so that moderate Muslims will think that like, you know, typical Westerners bombed this mosque and it will create the war, you know, precipitate the end of days is Barry's yeah. plan. And Omar uh, guides him through the logic of that <laughs> after returning from Pakistan. And they they quickly realize that or everyone but Barry realizes what a dumb idea this is. <laughs> they, they, and, and Barry, like, and this is why I love Barry so much. Like, at one point, Barry is... Uh, recording a video talking about how uh, they have martyred themselves to start the coming war. And Omar is like, look, man, if, if it's, if Muslims are supposed to believe that Westerners bombed the mosque, why are you recording a video taking credit for it? Yeah. (laughs) And not to mention the logic of doing it in the first place, which culminates in a discussion about like, well, if you're having a fight with someone, and you're losing, and at that point you just start to hit yourself. What does that do? And then they demonstrate that, and it's it's pretty tremendous. It's very funny. Oh, um, so Faisal uh, ends up. I can't, I can't keep a straight face when we talk about him. I, oh, I, can I just say, of both the movies that we that we're talking about, the scene. Which unfortunately removes Faisal from this movie is the funniest thing in yeah. either of these movies. I, I know we could probably debate this one, but I genuinely, I, every time it happens, but I have to switch the movie off and I have to give myself a good five minutes before I can hit play again it's... because tears streamed because <laughs> it's just the funniest thing ever. <laughs> well, I wasn't even there yet because they're they're testing the bomb and Faisal attaches a bomb to a crow. <laughs> And has this whole speech about like, you know, you're going to, I'll see you soon in heaven, brother crow, and that kind of thing. And he's trying to train the crow to fly to a birdhouse and it's then going to explode it. Uh, but he ends up just blowing up the crow into a puff of feathers. And, but yeah, it's later that they're actually trying to move safe houses because Wodge has invited the neighbor over. Mm-hmm. To listen to music, and there is literally all the components of a bomb Why that? L- yeah. laid out on the coffee table, like you know the plastic and bolts and and chemicals and all that stuff. So they have to get rid of it, um, <laughs> which leads to a, a, another very funny scene in which uh, Omar runs into his coworker, yeah, who's a, a marathon kind of guy, and. He, Omar's trying to distract him as the rest of these bumbling terrorists are trying to remove all the chemicals from the car that has stalled because Barry has never fixed it. 
or try to fix it himself, according to him. Yeah, and he fixed it. He fixed it. He fixed it with Jewish parts, apparently, and that's why this worked. It was spark plugs. Yeah, Jewish spark plugs. Um, <laughs> and and so and Barry also invents this stupid run to try to keep the chemicals stable while still <laughs> running. And Omar is left to describe, like, no, 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 this is actually, uh, it's squat jogging. Yeah. <laughs> and it's ridiculous. But then as they're uh, they're kind of fleeing to this other safe house, um, Faisal <laughs> jumps over a stone wall with all the chemicals and and trips over a sheep, I believe. Which sets off the chemical reaction and blows Faisal and the sheep up. <laughs> and, 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 all right, so finally they settle on the real plan, which is, uh, there the is, Madison, yeah. yeah, there's the London Marathon and there are some costumes involved. So they're going to pack all the explosives in the costumes and in the last act of the film is essentially them at the the marathon getting getting discovery. It's really uh, uh, Waj who first is like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And um, and actually Hassan has the same thing. And the, the, probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie is <laughs> Omar telling Hassan that his brain and his heart have gotten switched around <laughs> because his heart is telling him not to hurt anybody, but his brain is telling him they're already there. And he looked like a coward if he backed out. And so Omar is like, well, you've, you've got it switched up then. So, um, Hassan is now back on board because he believes that his heart is disguised as his brain and watch takes off. He's like, I'm fuck this. I'm not doing it. And Barry blows him up with a remote, like a cell phone remote control. Mm -hmm. And so now the the heat is on and they all go their separate ways, uh, trying to find, you know, high density targets with which to uh, explode themselves. And throughout the course of this, Barry is really the only one who seems consistently to want to do it. Yes. Yeah. And... Omar, uh, or Hassan ends up holding up inside, um, a restaurant that is clearly Muslim owned and, and Muslim frequented. So he's basically in a position to blow up the very people he's trying to, in theory, protect, or at least for their cause. Um, he gets on the phone with Omar and Omar tells him like, look, you don't, you don't need to uh, to do this. You were right. Like your heart and brain aren't confused. You need to turn yourself in. Let everyone go but one guy. And uh, so Hassan, while he's he's keeping his one hostage, who, who's sort of the uh, the counter worker at this restaurant, and he's talking about the bomb and slides the bomb towards the guy, mm -hmm. so that when the police finally bust in and raid this place, they shoot the employee of the restaurant. Because the bomb is in front of him. And then uh, then it explodes anyway. Yeah. Um, so those folks are dead. Barry, uh, what was what was Barry's ending? Barry oh, runs into Omar. Oh, right, right. <laughs> he gets the Heimlich maneuver. <laughs> right. R Barry 
is trying to swallow the SIM card on a phone, which he has shown them how to do before. And Omar pointed out even then, like, this is dumb because they can still track the SIM card in your belly. Yeah. Uh, but Barry tries to swallow the SIM card of a phone uh, from Omar and starts choking and somebody gives him the Heimlich, which blows <laughs> them both up. And and so Omar, um, the the end of the movie, which is is really a nice moment. There, there are a lot of nice moments in this movie that aren't just hilarious. There were some really nice touches. Um, but Omar runs back into his marathon friend and he's the only one left and he says... Uh, you know, tell people uh, that the last time you saw me, I was smiling. Mm-hmm. And and he's not. He's he's obviously very upset. He he understands the full weight of what he's about to do. And even though that earlier in the movie they kind of joke about like, well, you know, Barry wants to bomb a mosque or just some chemist or something. But that's what Omar ends up doing. He walks into a chemist shop and 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 you know hits the button and blows it up. And and that's kind of the end of the movie. Um, it is, but th- there are also moments that are also very touching, like Omar going to his wife and delivering this message, a coded yeah. message of like it's on, we're about to do this, and you know, and the, the lines are like, I'm you know, I'm going with my friends upstairs, and I'll see you when you get there, and things like that, and yeah, and it's a great moment where his wife is talking to some cops. He delivers this message, and then they. His wife has a who is really good throughout the film. Like she's, it's weird because Omar's family is all on board with the jihad. Yeah, yeah. Even his even his son, because he he manages to explain his to his son his his child what jihad is by using the Lion King <laughs> as as reference. He uses all the characters yeah. from the Lion King as to make his point. So even his son's on board with it, and his brother suspects something's going to happen. His brother doesn't actually know. He's doing something and he just suspects that he's doing something. Yeah, and we, we do find his brother later being about to be, um, you know, black-sided, tortured yeah. for what he knows, even though he, he legitimately knows nothing and is a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of stuff like that. I mean, you can't make a movie like this without making a political statement. And the political statement at the end of the day seems to be like, a lot of these people are, you know, feel left out of society or being unfairly persecuted, like, you know, Omar's brother. Um, a lot of them are are just misguided or being led by someone who's just a crazy person like Barry. Mm. Um, well, see, you know, Barry, to me, Barry to me is one of the most interesting aspects because I, I don't know whether or not um, the director is trying to make this point of the Western approach to terrorism against the Middle Eastern approach to terrorism. Um, so, I, I mean, Omar is appalled at this idea of blowing up people that have the same religious beliefs as himself. That, sure. that doesn't make any sense. However, Barry's opinion is very much the, the Western approach to terrorism, which is anyone's a casualty. Um, or, or, on some level, you can look at it, and once again, this is this never happened, it's allegedly, but a lot of people believe, for example, that the terrorist acts in, on the, the World Trade Center were an inside job to galvanize the American public into illegal wars in the Middle East. So Barry's almost the, the, the kind of mouthpiece for that Western idea of terrorism, 
which is, you know, like we can just manipulate people to do what we want by, you know, hurting them first. Um, whereas the rest of the team are kind of, on some level, you know, completely bamboozled because this is just not what they would do. That you to strike fear into the hearts of your enemies, you strike your enemy. You don't strike your own. Um, which I think is like is a really really clever clever message that they put with Barry, who is like we said before, is one of the biggest idiots of the movie. Um, so that message being delivered by him, I think, is kind of diffused from an audience point of view. But yeah, there's tons there's tons of that in this movie. It, it, you have to if you're doing jihad um, as a topic uh, or terrorism, you have to on some level acknowledge that, or it doesn't have the credibility of the yeah. viewer to watch it. Yeah, I mean, it, this is a movie that doesn't work if it's not as funny as it is. Then it, mm. it then it does become offensive because, it, and not just towards a Western audience, but like an, uh, a Muslim viewer would be offended if this isn't handled just right. And yeah. a Western viewer would be offended if it if it's not handled just right. And, you know, I mean, I, I can definitely see Western audience members watching this movie and reacting negatively towards it. Uh, because it does deal with heavy issues, and you know there are some people who are directly affected by that, and um, you know, so trigger warning or whatever. If you're watching, I don't, I don't think there's any question. If you throw this movie in, like you're going to see some terrorist shit. So, oh yeah, yeah, you know, be warned. But you know, that being said, there are also great moments like when Omar and Hassan first get to Pakistan, and they're like one of the uh, the higher ups tells Omar to kill Hassan. And then, you know, and then it's like, well, you're not going to do it, but you have to be willing to. And there's Omar and Hassan have this conversation about how you should be willing to kill your friend hmm. that results in them comparing it to Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Uh, like, I would, you know, I'd get in a, a like, uh, uh, oh, what is it? Like a, a hook and go right across your guts and yank them out like Mortal Kombat. And like, there's just lines. Lines on top of lines on top of lines in this movie that, like, I need to go back and watch it probably a couple of more times before I feel like, oh, I've heard every joke in this movie. Yeah, there's uh, there's tons of stuff in the background. Like, loads of stuff in the background. They're just kind of casually strewn in a, in a sentence where you focus on the main joke, but the setup to the joke's just as funny that you'll catch on the second viewing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've seen it twice now, and... I, I really enjoyed it both times. I enjoyed it probably more the second time. Uh, just knowing, like, okay, when I'm watching this movie, I know where the ending is now. I know where we're going to end up. So paying attention along the way of how they're setting up these characters. Uh, like, it, it's it's a better movie almost than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. um, or if not needs to be, like, it, it's just, it's so, it's such a delicate balance to make this movie work. Yeah, and and it's really, um, you know, Christopher Morris. Uh, to his credit, it does work really well, and it's very funny. Like I laughed a whole lot. Uh, there, there are a ton of moments uh, that the first time through, I missed a couple of lines of dialogue yeah. because I was, you know, cackling over Faisal, you know, exploding <laughs> and stuff. It's their reactions. <laughs> hasn't dropped so they're still just looking innocently at the big crater and when, <laughs> the 
forget his head. They put a lamp's head in the bag instead of his head, which then later on falls <laughs> a tree on a jogger. Yeah, and <laughs> they say it's a, what an Asian man's head has fallen onto someone. Oh. Um, and and also like even at that moment, like their discussion of whether the sheep was martyred um, <laughs> is really really funny. Yeah, Barry Barry says that he has been martyred, and the reason behind that is he's obviously. Sh- he made a strike at the enemy when asked about that. He's like, well, he killed their livestock. I mean, that affects the food chain. Right. <laughs> One sheep. Oh, 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 there's so... Like, see when he's in the see when he's in the cafe and he's obviously having the conversation with Omar and Omar's trying to talk him out of it and he says, you're confused and he takes a photograph with a phone and then looks at his face, which looks confused and he's like, I don't look confused. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, poor Hassan. Just, it's just, or, or when they like when they first arrive in Pakistan and they go to that room and he's like, "Look at all the rabbits." And he's like, "They're, they're not rabbits. They're, they're chickens." He's like, "That? No, no. I think they're rabbits." He's like, "No, there's chickens." He's like, "That? I mean, look, they, they don't have any ears." And he's like, "That's what I mean. Look what they've done to the rabbits." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, all the characters in the not all, but you know, seventy five percent of the characters that you're dealing with this movie are dealing with in this movie are just morons. Yeah. And, but they're not villainous morons. You know, they're not, they are, I mean, they're terrorists. They're, they're planning a strike against a Western crowd. Yeah. But it's hard to feel like they're that much of a threat. And then they are. And that's kind of, I think one of the greater points of the movie is that, you know, a lot of the, the things that, hurt us most savagely when it comes to terrorism are just the work of, you know, malcontents and weirdos and, and, and people who live on the fringe for one reason or another. Um, and a lot of times it's, it's just because they're, they're not successful people, you know, as people. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting, take on the idea of terrorism without ever getting maudlin. I mean, there are moments in the movie that, that kind of sucker punch you a little bit and yeah. remind you of the gravity of the subject matter, which I, again, think is a really nice touch. But, you know, for the most part, the movie is just funny yeah, and, and consistently funny throughout. Like, you know, it from the opening scene where you're recording, you know, the terrorist threat <laughs> video... And he's got a toy AK-47 that is far too small and will not threaten anyone. So to combat that, he tries to move close enough to the camera lens so that the toy gun looks bigger. <laughs> you know, like at that point, I was like, okay, I'm on board with this. This seems this seems pretty clever. Um, yeah, it's a ridiculously funny movie. And, and it is a really good comedy and everyone should see it. Um, I... All right. I mean, <laughs> shall shall we? Shall we do this? Yeah, we 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 probably should. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna take a, a quick break, and you can uh, hear a little more about a Legion podcast show. When we return, we will be talking about Harold and Maude, which is arguably one of the great cult movies of cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am, oh God, am I curious <laughs> to hear Duncan's reaction to this one? So we'll be right back. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. 
The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. Most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this Earth? Destroy it utterly. Send Rick and Danny in wool rocket Ajax. So, just destroy it? That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming. Hail Ming. Wait! You see those transmissions on the visual screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street? Chud 2? Black Belt Jones? Nightbreed? What's a critter? Oh, I've seen those things. Flash? I guess we could wait a while before the destruction. Yeah, and watch the movies. And talk about them. The Hell Ming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now. You can find us at Legion Podcasts. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At www. You know what? Just Google it for yourself. Just Google it, you bastages. Hell Ming. Breaking two? Electric Boogaloo? Samurai Cop? Army of Darkness? Flash Dance? <laughs> <laughs> we might destroy the planet if it's Flash Dance. And welcome back. That's my Duncan impression. Um, <laughs> That's actually not bad. That's it's not bad. it's alright. It's alright. Uh... So, my pick for Duncan is a movie that every time I watch it, I wonder why I don't watch it more. Um, it is, I, you know, it really is, I think, one of my favorite films. Uh, it is Harold and Maude from 1971. Uh, it is directed by Hal Ashby, um, who directed such films as Being There... Uh, he did The Last Detail, he did Coming Home, he did Shampoo. Um, yeah, I mean, the guy has done some significantly great movies. And it stars uh, Ruth Gordon as Maud, Bud Court as uh, Harold, the titular Harold and Maud of the film. Um, IMDb summarizes it thusly. Uh, young, rich, and obsessed with death, Harold finds himself changed forever when he meets lively septuagenarian Maud at a funeral. Um, th that is accurate. I don't think it gives us the full picture, uh, of what this movie is and what it is about. Um, before we get into Duncan's reaction, I will play a short clip in which, uh, Harold, who suffers from a bit of, uh, an identity crisis throughout the film... Uh, is sent to discuss uh, a potential career in the military with his uncle, uh, who is a, a long-serving uh, military individual. And uh, Harold is perhaps a bit too enthusiastic <laughs> during the course of uh, their conversation about him enlisting in the army. So uh, we will hear this and be right back. Gee, I, I never dreamed it could be that exciting. Uh, that's the most exciting thing in the world, Harold. To pit your own life against another yes to kill the taste of blood in your mouth the moment of truth another man's life 
in your sight. Yes. That. Will they really teach me to shoot? Sure they will. A variety of weapons. To use a bayonet. Yes. <laughs> How about hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat? Yes. To strangle someone, choke him, well, squeeze out his life in your own bare hands. I think you're getting carried away, uh, Harold. How about to uh, slit his throat? Well, I don't know I about like that. that. You can see the blood squirt out. Well, How about souvenirs? Souvenirs? Of your kill. Eyes, ears, nose, scalp, privates. Harold! It, it's kind of the... Uh... <laughs> All right, welcome back. I'll, I'll, I'll leave this in for the show because I think it, uh, it, it's accurate. <laughs> This uh, scene in particular reminds me of the Arlo Guthrie song, Alice's Restaurant, as uh, the the singer of the of the story of Alice's Restaurant tries to convince the uh, draft officials that he wants to kill babies. And it's it's kind of that scene to me. But anyway, my appreciation of Harold and Maude is not uh, in question here because it is fantastic. Duncan, what did you make of Harold and Maude? Right, Bo. Uh, where to begin with this one? Um, yeah. Where, where, where do you want to start with the Great Cat Steven soundtrack or perhaps uh, the Suicides? Right, well, uh, what, yeah. Uh, what I, for one, sacrilegious says on this show, do not like Cat Stevens. Sorry. Um... But the score wasn't offensive, so I'll let off. Um, had had it been a bit more in your face, then yes, we would have we would have had them's fighting words, Bo. Um, <laughs> but no, I, you know, I, I don't particularly like Cat Stevens, but that that's not an issue. That's not an issue. Um, this movie is one that I was aware of. Obviously, if you are a cinephile, you will know this movie. Um, what surprised me is how very little I knew of what actually the movie was about. Um, so much so that genuinely in the first five, ten minutes, I was completely confused as to what was happening in the movie because I hadn't checked IMDb or anything. So, um, But I was very much aware of its cult status and the fact that it, I believe it got a Criterion release as well, which solidifies its cult status. Criterion tends to only really put its name against movies which are considered, you know, serious works of cinema, eh, regardless of whether the subject matter is comical or not. Um, so I, I knew very little about this movie, and watching it, I it, it did take me a good 10-15 minutes to kind of get a feel for what the movie was trying to do, but after those 10 or 15 minutes passed, um, I was pretty much in love with the movie right to the very end. I think um, before we even start going to talk about specific details of the movie, I think it's incredibly well shot. It has a kind of dreamy, whimsical feel which kind of floats across the top of it, even though some of the subject matter in it is quite bleak and dark. Um I think the casting is phenomenal. Uh, anytime you're going to have Ruth Gordon in something, I'm going to be happy to watch it. Um, and she plays very much a Ruth Gordon-esque character. She's very scatterbrained, very quirky. Um, won an Oscar, by the way, for this. I'm rightly so. I think she yeah. probably should win. I think she is, I think, especially towards the very end of the movie where we see how it plays out, I think she deserves an Oscar for this. I thought she she was very, she was great in it. But Court is not anyone that I believe I've seen in anything else um, and I get the feeling that had he been the age he is during this movie now Tim Burton would have him in every fucking movie that he ever made he has that kind of 
Tim Burton-esque look and quality um, that that you, you tend to expect from from movie you know movies that he puts out and actors that he surrounds himself by. So the, the central premise for for this this uh, story is that we basically have this kind of very bored, slightly troubled young man who is from a very affluent family who stages his own death over and over again to to kind of for his amusement but also to try and get some sort of reaction from his mother which you know doesn't seem to happen often uh, his mother really has no interest in him out with to put him in the life that she wants to put him in um, and he in between staging his own suicides uh, attends funerals because he enjoys a good funeral and don't we all Bo? Don't we all oh, I it? certainly do. I've got a couple of names that I would like to attend the funeral of. <laughs> so he goes, obviously, to funerals of people that he knows. He doesn't know them at all. Um, and he drives a hearse and all the rest. And during one of his trips to one of these funerals, he comes across Ruth Gordon's character, Maud. And Maud is kind of... She's on the other end of the, the spectrum um, in that she has lived a full life She's 79. She's closing in on her 80th birthday. And she has this kind of common interest, as he does, in going to funerals, but for completely different reasons. Um, And she has a real spark and a vitality and a kind of copy DM, seize the day sort of mentality about everything, which extends to stealing vehicles, which she does a lot in this movie, playing off (laughs) as the kind of crazy old woman, senile old woman sort of thing. The the things that she does to cop vehicles in this is absolutely incredible. Um, and the two of them obviously meet over this common interest and they start with the befriend, befriend each other and start to to spend a lot of time together and slowly um, Bud Court's character, Harold, is kind of taken aback by kind of the enthusiasm for life that Ruth Gordon's character has. Maud very much lives for the moment constantly whereas Harold almost on some level sees life as this kind of tortuous sort of anguish that he has to go through. And he he flirts with these ideas of suicide constantly throughout the movie, obviously staging them, but in conversations as well. It's something that plagues heavy on his mind as he just, he's so bored with life at his very young age that, you know, to him it's not worth living. Um, and Maud is on the other end of the spectrum. She's lived a very eventful life, um, and she makes the most of every day. She make she she really does kind of make the most of every day, and she slowly makes Harold appreciate the world around him. Meanwhile, uh, Harold's mum is determined to do anything to sort her son out, which, as we heard in that wonderful clip earlier on, um, means potentially sending him off to military schools because that'll straighten them out because that's what they do in the family there's a lineage of people that have been in the and fought wars and it builds character and all the rest and even down to this very early version of computer dating and what she fills at the form with her answers she didn't even which is a tremendous scene it's of... an incredible scene it's absolutely incredible um and basically every woman that 
is a potential match that gets brought home is kind of repulsed and scared or offended by the fact that Harold fakes his death in front of all of them, except one who <laughs> is an actress who plays into it. Um, right. And that's why... <laughs> That's why she doesn't get to stay. All the other ones leave in disgust. She would be happy to stay there, but the mum gets rid of her pretty quick. Uh, she's like, no, no, no ways are going to be two in this house. Can we? All right, can we pump the brakes on this scene for just a second? Because yes. I want to talk about how hilarious I find this moment. Mm-hmm. Because when this starts with the actress character Sunshine, like Dunro yes. is her name, <laughs> and she. She is left alone with Harold. Harold, in theory, is supposed to be making a legitimate attempt not to be a weirdo with with this one. Yes. Because this is the last girl that the dating service has has matched him with. And she asks him about a set of knives. Yes. And uh, one in particular, he's like, well, you might be interested in this. This is uh, for uh, Harry Carey. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, what is that? And he proceeds to grab a mat, take the knife, uh, like make a a ceremonial show of, you know, unfolding the mat in front of him and getting on it and then then stabbing himself with the fake knife and doing a death scene. And then she does a scene from Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) Right beside him. (laughs) With the knife right beside him. And then uh, Harold's mother and their butler come in and... Her reaction is like seeing Harold kneeling over the body, potential body of this actress with blood, fake blood, though it is blood all over his shirt and hands and says, oh, Harold, that was the last girl. That was the last one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Brilliant. The setups in this movie are paid off in a way which is incredibly satisfying. Every joke that's set up. Is set up carefully. It's crafted well, and it's delivered well. It's that kind of old, kind of old-fashioned aesthetic towards comedy, which is you know. Whereas in my movie, we'd said before, there's maybe five jokes flung at you in a minute, and you might laugh at one the first time round. The second time round, you might laugh at some bit completely different. This this one is more the kind of tried and tested. Set up, pay off, set up, pay off, set up, pay off. And it follows, it's very much like that throughout the movie, and, and much to its credit. Um, Harold finds that if he's going to be forced into marriage, the only person he would want to marry is Maud, because it's the one that he feels the, the connection with, the emotional connection with, um, out of anyone else. Kindred spirits, almost uh, soulmates. And they celebrate her 80th birthday. And throughout this entire movie, Maud has continually banged on about the fact that 80 would be a good age to go. It's the perfect age to go. 79 too young, 81 too late. 80 is the perfect age to die. And um, through a a conversation uh, with her brother, they're dancing on her 80th birthday. She basically tells him that she has swallowed a a huge amount of pills and she will be dead before midnight. And of course, this is, you know, Harold has flirted with suicide all the way through this movie, but when actually dealt with being on the other side of seeing someone that you actually do care about take their life, he switches into must-save mod mode, um, driving her to the emergency room, and ultimately she dies. Um, At the end of this movie, we think he drives his uh, hearse off a cliff, um, but we find that it's another kind of 
on some level you can look at it as another stage suicide or the other way to look at it, the way I would like to look at it is that's the death of that side of him and yeah. she, Maud had taught him in the time that they spent together how to play the banjo so very uh, very much symbolising that he walks away up the hill playing the banjo embracing life then moving forward uh, very much like Maud had taught Tom so the, the movie does get quite serious towards the end um, once again, I think it needs that in the movie, though, very much like Four Lions needs that idea, those kind of tender moments for impact to offset the ridiculousness of the movie. This movie does the, the same thing and it finishes um, really strong. There's a lot I really liked about this movie. I think, like I said, it's acted really well. Um, I think it's shot really well. I think the death scenes are brilliant. Um and the, the creativeness in which they approach the death scenes are really brilliant. The, the, they become more absurd and more outlandish and more theatrical every time the next one comes along. So, so I really did enjoy that. I think that, that where, where the movie really shines is the fact that it's probably the, one of the first movies to kind of handle this kind of morbid style of comedy in this sort of fashion. It's certainly a movie that I know, having now watched it, has had a dramatic impact on movies since. Um, I, I could even think of, I, and it's I, I've quite a far removed one, but I could see Shades of Death Becomes Her and Harold and Maud. So it has it has had like a, a sizable impact for a movie which, having done a bit of reading this morning, was critically panned when it came out. Um, everyone was lining up to take swings at this movie. Not a lot of people were actually batting for the fences to talk about it. And that is testament to the fact that you said is one of the greatest cult movies of all time. Is that really it is people that have embraced this movie and kind of carried it through on their shoulders forward to the recognition that it got much later on. So, yeah, I, I I did enjoy it. I thought it was a really, really good movie. Um, I have things to say at the very end of the show. I will not say any more until then. All right. All right. Um, I think uh, I, I, I think everything you said is correct, except for the thing about Cat Stevens. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do think... Lousy position, Bo. <laughs> I think that especially the song that's repeated, uh, like uh, Maud sings it, and then it's the song that Harold plays at the end, which fades into the Cat Stevens songs. The, uh, you know, if you want to sing out, sing out. Yeah. I think is, it, it is such a perfect encapsulation of the attitude of this movie. Yeah. You know, it is, this movie is unrelentingly optimistic, even, even in its darkest moments. And I, I think one of, uh, like, two of the scenes that I would point out as, as great examples of, of, how both optimistic and, and hilarious the movie is, is the, the big death scene. I think everyone thinks of is the one where Harold's mother is talking to the potential date. Uh, and you see Harold go by in the, the rear window and wave. Yeah. And he's wearing a bunch of rags and holding a can of gasoline. <laughs> and there's a real slow burn, uh, pun not intended in this case, where, you see him, you know, like march to this wall and, and basically he sets himself on fire. It's a dummy, 
but it is for all the world looks to the potential date as Harold has climbed a wall, doused himself with gasoline and set himself on fire. And at that moment, he enters the room, to, you know, to cut a letter off the hook a little bit. But also, that's his game, you know, of how do I get a rise out of the people around me? And I really love that moment a lot. And and the other one um, that I think exemplifies the film well is the scene in the ambulance um, when Harold has learned that Maud is uh, has has essentially poisoned herself with pills and. Um, they're racing to the hospital and Harold, uh, tells her like, you know, I don't want you to go. I love you. Mm -hmm. And Maude's reaction is this big smile. And she says, Harold, that's wonderful. Now go and love some more. Mm -hmm. And it is that, like I said, is just the attitude of this movie is how, how do you treat human beings with respect and love and care and also, in your own individual way, stage these little protests against, you know, organized, uh, whether it's government or any, basically anybody stepping on the little guy, that's who your target ought to be. And uh, and I love it. I, 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 I absolutely adore this movie. I think it's it's wonderfully funny and, and poignant and, and it, it makes me happy. Like, w- watching this movie makes me feel like a better person at the end of it. Um. So anyway, uh, let's let's get to it because this feels like a discussion that needs to be had. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you want me and, to kick off? Or yeah, do you, you kick get, off? get it. No, get it rolling. Let's <laughs> let's hear this. Right. Uh, to me, Harold and Maud. I actually think these movies pretty much reflect our personalities right down to the ground. <laughs> Like, they really do. You are the eternal optimist that looks for good in everyone, and I'm the dark, nasty heart of podcasting. Um, that, that's that's what I aim for. I, I tend to, like, at the end of this movie, it makes you feel like a better person. At the end of the, the other movie, it kind of reflects how I look at life. Um, and whilst I think, I actually genuinely think that Harold and Maud would win in almost any other bracket we have put in. Like this movie, please. This movie has a lot of a lot of kind of. We've already done romance on on this show. If you put Harold and Maud in that bracket that week, um, like back in uh, when we did Love, which was back Valentine's Day, wasn't it? Yeah, back in uh, Ot Ot Three. I yeah, think yeah, is when we first recorded that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, um, back then, if that had been put there, that would have won that competition. If you wanted to put something which, like almost any bracket, I would say Harold and Maud wins, except the comedy bracket. Because whilst I found the movie very, very funny, it, it makes me laugh nowhere near the level of Four Lines, which I think is, is incredible. Witty. It does have a, very much like I'm saying Harold and Maud of its time was probably doing something that was so ahead of the curve and you can see the impact moving forward. Four Lions is that fresh version of that again, a comedy which takes a subject matter that no one does out with stand-up comics. No one makes light of and no one does any funny material on at all because it is a very taboo, very risky subject 
even now, even in 2016, you know, six years removed from it, um, and does it in a way which gets the balance perfect. One iota either side in that movie offends, uh, you know, a, a group of people involved in it, some capacity with the movie, and it doesn't. It holds all the way through, and it is a movie which I genuinely, I've seen it about seven or eight times, and it is just as funny to me now as it was the first time I watched it for completely different reasons. Every time I watch it, I find a new aspect of the movie that I think is really well written or, or really well set up or j- just the the comedy of the movie is, is almost like a... The comedy of the movie is almost like this blanket that gets put over a fire and just extinguishes the fire. It's so... It's so overpowering and it's so out there, but... Not in a way which you feel that it's to the detriment of the rest of the movie. Um, and whilst I think Harold and Maud is pretty much a perfect movie, I, I, I really couldn't... Even, even I don't like Cat Stevens, but the soundtrack is apt and fits perfectly with the movie. So, you know, I, I can't think of anything that I hold as a negative for Harold and Maud, but that's not what this competition's about. The competition's not about what is the perfect movie, it's what's the, the best movie in the bracket we've set this this particular week. And the better comedy to me, sir, is Four Lions. Duncan, you ignorant slut. Um... <laughs> I will never tire you calling me an ignorant slut. Actually, I'm actually getting it tattooed as a tramp stamp. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to get it done. And quotation marks or ran still 2016. Yeah. Or, I mean, if you want to take it all the way back, you could do like Dan Aykroyd 1976. That's really <laughs> where it comes from. But fair enough. I'll, I'll take it how I can get it. Um, as long as you, you have a tattoo somewhere on your body that references me, however indirectly I'm happy. <laughs> um, I, like, I agree with you that, that Four Lions is a rapid fire comedy that manages to treat very delicate subject matter very well. Um, You know, I think we're both, as we always are on this show, it seems like, saying that both of these movies are really good movies. Yes, definitely. Um, Harold and Maude does not have the rapid-fire pace of four lines. It's not thrown as many jokes at you. When you get them, though... I th- I think they they work incredibly well. I really like the scene with uh, Tom Skerritt, an early Tom Skerritt, uh, as the motorcycle cop. Yeah. Um, it, that basically Maud manages to twist around in any number of ways as they're uh, trying to remove a publicly planted tree from a sidewalk and plant it in the forest. Um, you know, you have the scene with the priest counseling uh, Harold about being with uh with Maud, which I think is one of the creepiest slash funniest scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh the way that he just curls his tongue around the word buttocks in particular, I find great. Um you know, I and like down to the uh uh the uncles, the military uncles like ripcord that allows him to salute with his yeah. amputated arm. Like, all that stuff I think is really wonderful. It doesn't come at the pace of Four Lions. But I don't know that there are a ton of jokes in the movie that fall flat. Oh, no. Definitely. No, no, no. There's, that's what I'm saying. There isn't. Right. But where else would, like, 
if you were to categorize this film other than a comedy, I mean, it's not a drama because it it lives in in a place of black comedy. Um, you know, romance maybe. I I, I see your point. Think, there, yeah, but... I, I think you. The, my my point is that you can you can use this movie in different brackets and it would work. I I don't think it's necessary, and that's not that's not a slight against the movie. I think it works on many levels. I think you, you could put it in. Uh, under comedy, you could put it in as romance. You could actually put it on some level as a drama. I don't necessarily think it fully fits in there, but you could make the argument, and it would be an argument that I would find difficult to argue against. Um, and you're right, as as a funny movie, none of the jokes are not funny. But to me, none of the jokes in Four Lions are not funny either. Agree. There's not, agree. Not, none of it. None of it falls flat. So then it comes down to fundamentally what movie did I laugh at more um because I I bet I genuinely think both movies are acted very well I think they have really good stories behind them I think they deal with subject matter which for both times even taking Harold and Maude from the seventh uh, from 1971 deal with subject matter which people don't really talk about or don't really address and are very much ahead of their their time like very much like ahead of their time and against the curve um, in terms of how they approach them, so both of those movies, like the, to me, they are equals in in all those respects. So then it comes down to the fundamental. It comes down to me to fundamentals. What did I laugh at more? And Four Lions is a movie I laughed at more, um, and that's because you could argue that's because there's more jokes in it. Um, it's, it's not to take anything away from Harold and Maude at all. I do think it's a great movie, and I, I do feel quite silly having went thirty, almost thirty five years of my life having never seen this movie and very much well aware of its reputation um, is one that has, you know, when it was on the list, once again, it's another movie that appears on on the list of things we throw backwards and forwards to each other. And I'm like that, that now would be the perfect time to watch this movie. You know, if, if ever I'm going to do it, now is it like, well, the same with uh, Death Race 2000, when we did that right back at the very start. A movie I was fully aware of, um, had never seen before. If I ever was going to do it, I would want to do it on this show with you. So, I mean, Harold and Maude is, the, is a perfect choice. It's a perfect movie. I just don't think it's as funny as Four Lions. Um, and- yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we're making a quality versus, or a quantity argument versus quality argument. And and I can see that. Right, I, let me put it this way. I laugh harder then at the jokes yeah. in Four Lions. Four lines, and I do a Harold and Maud, and that once again that comes down to my sense of humour. I tend to find both movies are dark as well. That's the thing. I mean, on <laughs> right, any, right, right, right. Before like, we started recording, we basically said that this week we went for something where we could we have the broad spectrum of comedy that we can talk about, and both movies come in as being dark in tone. Even though yours ends up with a, a happier outlook, dark in tone, and both about suicide. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, very explicitly, yeah, in both cases. Um, all right, the, the other argue, argument I would make in defense of Harold and Maud here is that I think one of your arguments is that, yes, it functions well as a comedy, it's just so many other things than a comedy. Uh, it's not, I said that wasn't a detriment to the movie. Movie. I said you could not, have played this movie in right. many other shows, and I think that there's a chance that they probably would have won but i think that where it doesn't where, where it doesn't win this week is the fact that we've solely pinned it down as a comedy and i i think i picked a superior comedy 
let, all right, let me let me give you one other out here. <laughs> oh God, because I'm trying to socks, Mr. Ransdale. I'm trying to do this for you, <laughs> um, because honest to goodness, if we uh, if we announce that Four Lions is the winner of this episode, I feel like your life might be might be in danger, I don't and not th- for me. I, I don't think so. I think anyone. I think maybe people. I think maybe it's the reverse situation of the scenario that we've come into the show with. I think that there probably is a lot more people that have seen Harold and Maud and the community that we hang around in that have not seen Four Lions. And I think that when they watch Four Lions, they will then come back and will unanimously say it is the funnier movie. Right, but your daughter will be an orphan by then. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'm trying to avoid for you, Duncan. I don't. I don't want. Your precious, beautiful daughter to grow up without her father. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, there's no if it comes down to what is the better film. There's no argument here, but that's not what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. And I, I like I see that argument. It's just so hard for me to swallow the bitter pill of Harold and Maude not winning, not because of Four Lions. It's it like I don't care what movie you had in the slot against Harold and Maude. I would want Harold and Maude to win because I I do think it's a, a, you know as you've said yourself, uh, damn near a perfect movie. It is. It's pretty much a perfect movie. I, that was the thing that happened at the when it finished. I watched it last night for the first time, and when it finished, um, I don't actually write notes when. I watch movies, everything's done in my head and I was thinking at the very end when I watch any movie that you give me for this show when I get to the end of it, I recap everything that I consider a negative aspect and that's the column that I hold on to for this end part and that column has nothing in it there is nothing in the movie at all that I think is a negative at all, I think it is like I say, it's a perfect movie It, it you know, it does everything right but I also think that my movie does everything right. I think, you know, the same bracket is why I picked the movie. You know, it's the same idea. When I reach the end of that movie, I think about what doesn't work for the movie. And there's nothing in that movie that doesn't work for me either. So when you come down to that level, it's, you know, and there will be a bit of selfishness in it. Of course, I, I don't want my movie to lose, but I genuinely think my movie's funnier. Yeah, I mean, I, I I do tend to agree that Four Lions... I laugh more watching Four Lions than I do Harold and Maude. I mean, yeah. Does it make... It, right, so... so ah. But now, now, that, now that you're looking at it from a, a point of view of quantity and not quality, then, if you're saying that. That's not, that's not right, the but that's, I'm really putting forward. I'm just saying... I'll... That the quality of the like the jokes are innately funnier in Four Lions than in Harold and Maude. Not that the jokes in Harold and Maude don't work. No, they work perfectly, and like I say, they they follow a very a traditional kind of way of doing comedy, which you don't get anymore. Just long, long gone are the days of this sort of comedy, which is like you 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 set up your joke, you see it all unfolding. 
like you're talking about with the rags. That 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 is that joke takes a while to pay off, but when it yes. pays off, it's hilarious. And you see you see every aspect of the joke, which in theory should diffuse the joke, but the anticipation of the joke is what what builds it up. And when you get that release, that's what makes it funny. As you know, you you see all the events unfolding to play it out. Four Lions is not that sort of comedy. Four Lions is more a kind of slapstick paced comedy in that it is it's almost, a, it's, if anything, it's a comedy of errors. It's very fast-paced dialogue where people are saying things or the, the expressions on people's faces are... The only time any joke is set up that way are the jokes which involve the bombs, where it's the, the, the bird with a bomb on its chest and him walking away and you're waiting for something to go wrong or him running with the carrier bags climbing over the wall and you know something's going to go wrong or the guy getting the Heimlich manoeuvre. Those are the only jokes that are really set up jokes. The rest of the comedy is very much... Very spontaneous and yes. of the moment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, they're, they're two different kinds of comedy. And that's... I, I, I think... On that level, I may be, and that's not to say that it's, once again, it's not to say it's the better movie, because if it comes down to what is the better movie, Harold and Maud wins every day uh, with with ease. Um, but when it comes down to the com- the comedy resonates better with me in four lines than it does in Harold and Maud. And that's personal. That's, that's a personal choice. I just think that it's a funnier movie. Um, and that's not to do with the, the, the sheer volume of jokes, of which there is, like, maybe 20 times. Sure, yeah. And the jokes in four lines, which you could look at You could look at it from a point of view where that is the negative aspect, is they throw so many jokes that you have to maybe even watch it four or five times to get 90% of the jokes. Um, and I, I could see that as... I could see that from your point of view as being a detriment, you know, as something that to, 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 get, to put a slight against the movie. But it's a movie that, you know, it, it, to, to me, it's a movie that compels you to watch it more and more. Um, because you know, you like, you know, when you, Four Lions is finished, you've missed jokes. You know, there's stuff you've missed in that movie. Oh yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah. You go back to see what you've missed in the movie. Um, Harold and Maude, you would you would return to just because it's a fucking great movie. You know what I mean? You know, it's it just everything about that movie is perfect. Um, and like I say, any other bracket, I would any other bracket at all, Bo. Us having this conversation and you trying to save my soul, so to speak, um, from the from the Facebook vultures, which will come after me in hordes. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm scared it's going to go offline. <laughs> that's that's my worry. <laughs> that Harold and Modheads, as they're called. <laughs> any other any other show, I would I would take the points that you had made and and they would sway me. A hundred percent, because I can't. I cannot argue where you're coming from at all. But this is one bracket which this is the, probably the only bracket that we have done which uh, lends itself purely to looking purely from a personal taste. I think in other ones I could sit back and say, well, you know, but a great example is the the Doctor Strange Love episode. Right, we both came in with like very, very, very good movies for that show. But fundamentally, when you sat down and you broke down the argument of you know why it's the better movie, at the end of that, I'm like, that is the better movie. You know, I, I you know, is is the better movie, and it fits the 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 spec completely, and it totally falls in with that. And if I argue my point, it's purely for selfish reasons. 
I am now on the reverse of this. I have I have justice on my side. <laughs> and we were now, we're you have precedence. And we, we we are we are in the reversal of this one. And 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 this scenario with this bracket, this one purely comes down to what I find funnier. Um because that's the only way I can separate these movies. Um is to is to, to, to sit back and say, what is the better comedy movie? And to me, Four Lines is a better comedy movie. And I, I'm I'm purely happy to accept that you don't accept that. It's it's not that I don't accept it because it is it is a very funny movie. I'm looking forward to watching it again because I've I yeah, I, I've only mined, you know, I, optimistically eighty percent of the jokes out of that movie mm. on two watches. Um you know, and it, it it's ridiculously funny. It it makes its point. I mean, it's not just that it's just a funnier movie. It also is a really good comedy that makes a statement that is also kind of important to hear, I think, and 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 does it well and does it with a very careful touch. Uh, uh Duncan, Duncan, Duncan. <laughs> I mean, if this comes down, if this is coming down to a draw, I'm playing my winter beast. Right? I, that's, I, that's... no, 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 no. I don't think it comes down to a draw because I see your point, and I'm not. I don't disagree with it. It's just, it's having to come to terms, Duncan. That's what it is. It is. But I, I don't like, think it's not. I, there's not. I'm not saying that your movie choice is the wrong you know as as a bad movie or as a movie that you know yeah you no i know i know come armed with the better movie or whatever and i'm not i'm it's not it's not a. I, I you're doing you're doing what i do every single time i suggest a movie and lose on this show as i take it of a this is a movie that is very important to me or very special to me and because of that i have this kind of preordained right to to expect it just to to win regardless, and the fact that it's a great movie is the bonus. But you know what I mean? It should just win outright, and it is always a bitter pill to accept that. But <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. But like ahead. I said, and as far as I'm concerned, that the if if you if you genuinely think if you genuinely think 100 hand on heart. That your movie is the better comedy, then we call it a draw, and I play my winner beast. Yeah, but see that's. That's where things get dicey for me because I totally see the argument of from purely a comedy point of view, I can acknowledge Four Lions is a better pure comedy than is Harold and Maude. But as a film going experience, Harold and Maude is the superior film. And it it's it's that juxtaposition. That makes my nose bleed, and my ears <laughs> tingle, my naughty bits get get all crinkly. Um, oh my God. <laughs> and, uh, Harold and Maud is the better movie. I, 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 yeah. I, I will not argue that point. That that is a that's an open and shut case. Is the better movie, and that's academic. You know, what I mean, I don't think I think it would be. It would make your job a lot easier to get rid of me on this show if I came on and said that Harold and Maud wasn't the better movie. Um, I, I would, if I was you, I'd be advertised <laughs> for new co-host for new season of Duncan 
<laughs> you know, well, no, not Duncan. Score out name and Bo right, Patsy and Bo come correct. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's that. You know, that's academic, but I think more this season than the previous season. And I think the, the thing about season one for me is when we approached season one, it wasn't always down to the the specific topic we picked for the movies. So sometimes you could come in with with movies which should never have been paid against each other because of the genres they were in. So it was almost like, well, you know, this is a no contest. This season we have we've really kind of tried to focus in on the the specific topic we pick, and that's what that's ultimately what we score the movie on. Um, it's like when we did uh, Calvier and Alligator. Alligator is a fucking great movie. It's a great movie. Is it you know? Is it the better horror movie? No, but it's a better movie than Calvier. You know, I mean, it's shot better. The the you know, it's older and the effects still hold up. You know, it's got better acting and all the rest. Calvier isn't the better movie, but it's the better horror movie. Um, and that's that's how that's how I that's how I that's how I'm approaching it. But like I say, I can totally, I will not be offended and no one will think less of you and I won't think less of you until the recording stops. Um, if you if you are 100% resolute that the better comedy is Harold and Maud and not the better movie. Yes, yes. All right, so here, here's where I land on this. I I am not just willing, but but relatively secure insane that four lions as it operates as a comedy is a better comedy than Harold and Maude is a comedy. And that's as far as I go. <laughs> All right. Like I'm, I, I, I can go that far. And then at the end of the day, which movie do I want to watch again immediately? Uh, probably Harold and Maude. <laughs> It, it makes me so happy, Duncan. Um, <laughs> and I, I just wanted you to feel a little joy. Um, I wanted you to be happy too. Duncan, this is an intervention. Yeah, this is, this is just, I want to subvert the programming that you've been given and turn you into a good AI instead of the evil AI. Um, I told you, I'm the dark heart of horror podcasting. Yes, yes. No no more is that clear than now. Um, yeah, all right. So I'm I'm willing to say, uh, like I said, not just willing. I, I agree. I, I think that four lines from a pure from looking at the genre of comedy if 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 someone were to say like what is one of the best comedies you've seen recently four lions would be at the top of the list and then if someone said i need a way to live my life i would say you should watch harold and Maul. oh definitely but i know i think genuinely if someone said name me an excellent movie harold and Maud, i wouldn't if someone asked me to to name a great movie I would never name Four Lions as a great movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, but it's not, it's not, it's, you know, it, it, to me, it's a great comedy. If someone asked for yeah, a comedy, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would give them that. If someone is just looking for a great movie to watch, Harold and Maud's definitely, from now watching the movie, is definitely up there. Um, as one of, one of the, one of the greats. I, I genuinely think it was an incredible movie watching the experience. And like I say, had we put it almost in any other bracket, this is a slam dunk. This is me coming in with a conversation for, for you know, like like 
detective or mystery movie. Or yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah. that's me coming in with that one. To me, this is a heavy hitter of cinema. Um, I think the, the, the difference is that... And it, it's... I kind of almost felt unfair to an extent watching both movies is that I just know for a fact that I, I genuinely think Four Lions is a, like just an incredible comedy. Yeah, just, and it is. Just, it is. I think it just like and it works on that. It does have kind of tender moments and all the rest, but nowhere near on the level of Harold and Maud. You know, Harold and Maud has like a real soul, a substance, and anima, um, almost. You know, which which kind of you know underpins the entire movie. And, you know, that's why it'll last long beyond the recognition. You know, 20 years from now, I don't know if people will be looking back on podcasts or whatever they are in the future and doing a show where people speak as passionately as you speak about Harold and Maud about Four Lions. I can't see that happening. But when it when it comes to the bracket of comedy, I think it's... It's, it's a, it's, yeah, and once again, it's a tough one because comedy is completely subjective. And I, I was fully prepared to sit down and for you to tell me that, you know, what was mentioned in the movie is wholly offensive. And I really need to sit down and speak to someone if I'm recommending. <laughs> I was, I was totally prepared yeah. for that. Totally prepared for that. Because it's very much a British comedy as well. It has a very British sensibility about it. Um, and so the comedy very much works on that level. And you either get that or you don't. I know for a fact that you do get that sort of stuff. So that was, it was still a gamble though for me. Yeah, no, it it was a really good pick on your part. Uh, because it, you know how much I love um, In the Loop and, and even Veep, like Inarito's doing that on, uh, or uh, not Inarito, um, got him confused with the guy who directed The Revenant. Uh, what is his name? Ianucci. Yes, yeah, yeah. and uh, Ianucci's like in the loop and Veep in the thick of it and all that stuff is is just tremendous to me. So this, it's basically employing that sensibility with a story about four idiot terrorists. Yeah, and yeah, no, I I responded to it immediately. I thought it was very funny all the way through, and 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 genuinely. Had a blast watching it. So much so that I watched it, you know, in back-to-back days. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the first time I watched it, I was like, I, I know I missed a bunch of stuff. And and watching it the second time, I was like, yep, I, I still miss some stuff. Um, so, And I, I really appreciate it on that level because you're right, it is a great comedy to recommend to someone, at, you know, with the caveats of, like, did you lose anyone in the World Trade Center bombings? Because if you did, this is probably not the movie for yeah. you. Do you have a, a member of your family serving abroad right now? You know, the, right, sort of, right. This is not the comedy for you. Um, yeah. But if you if you like your comedy very tongue in cheek, with you know dealing with a, a subject matter which is incredible taboo. I mean, Harold and Maud still is. The subject of suicide, very much so. The subject of a young man, you know, even even falling in love for a very old woman. You know, it, it covers quite a few interesting taboos um, that I think are still there now. I mean, that's never that's never left. Those things are still there. I, I mean, I, the legacy of that movie is how much of an impact it has had on on movies since. And like I say, I just off the top of my head, I would. Death Becomes Her is one that instantly springs to mind as, you know, as having a root somewhere in there. And I would be surprised if people like Tim Burton, not from a visual point of view, but from a storytelling point of view, 
if Harold and Maud isn't in his top five movies. You know, I would be very surprised at that because it, it holds that and it is an incredible movie. And yeah, have you, you 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 brought gold to the table, sir. You know, you've laid out gold in front of me, and I'm I'm not I'm not throwing it back in your face. Not at all. I appreciate it, and I think it's a great movie, and I'm very glad to have seen it. I I just don't think on the rules that we have set out on this show, it's the better one this week. Yeah, you know, it fits the brief as well. Oh, but but I, I, and that's yeah. I, that's the the aspect I'm thinking about is it is the better movie. I, I can't I can't arg- I cannot argue that. I'd be an idiot to argue that it is the better movie. Um, but this, that's this show that's is going to make me a cutter. The, yeah, this is the, that's not what this show is about. It, it's never about what is the better movie. It's about what is the best movie that fits within right. the confines that we set out every two weeks. Right, and ideally, what is the best pick for the other person? And yeah, and, but even on that aspect, you picked a movie that I thought was phenomenal. So right, but but likewise, you know, I mean, we're 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 talking about heavy hitters here, and yeah. um, but I no, I think you're right. I think I think given the the parameters of the show, the rules of the show, um, and I don't say this reluctantly because everyone should see Four Lions. It's a great movie. Um, I I think. I think you're right. I, I think Four Four Lions is the best comedy of the two this week. Um, that being said, uh, once the show is ended, I'm gonna go just spray paint. Harold loves Maud. Maud loves Harold. Uh, on various train trellises and walls, just to make myself feel a little bit better about it. Uh, <laughs> gonna get my Harold and Maude t-shirt I'm, I'm basically gonna devote my life to this movie and expect that this movie will be your your pick for the next episode um <laughs> well I think I'm just gonna keep I'm just gonna keep launching Harold and Maude at you till it wins well uh, l- l- let me let me put it this way just to <laughs> let me put it this way to make things really interesting for for the next episode I am s- I'm confident I win the next episode and I've still to, I, I've given you my pick, you've accepted it, I've still to read through your list and go with it, right? I'm confident, I'm so confident I win on the next episode, I'm not playing a winter beast even, even if it looks like I'm losing, I'm not doing it. Alright, alright. That's so, confident. But let me, let me, let me spice things up, Bo Ransdell. Oh, I like let a me, spice. Let me up the ante. The director that directed the movie that you're going to watch, I'm giving you next week, is a director who has directed a movie which you didn't really like. <laughs> so, which is Barbarian Sound Studio. And um, I didn't dislike it. Yeah, it's in the yeah. vein. It's in the same vein as Barbarian Sound Studio. Yeah. So it is a rogue pick. I've become renegade on this show. I have thrown caution to the wind. I like it. I like it when you go rogue. That's caution being flung against the wind. <laughs> <laughs> it's being flung against the wind, bow. All right, all right. I respect that. Uh, all right, so uh, I think where we land here is Four Lions is the winner of uh, season two, episode eleven. But neither one of us is happy about that. I no no no. <laughs> I I am happy in that both of these movies deserve a look. We are we are the the ultimate goal of this uh, of this show, Duncan, is to um, ultimately drive a stake through your heart. Uh, no, no, no. 
<laughs> you, you have a hard time finding it, though. I, right. That's We're going to have to have a very precise take. Um, no, it is to showcase movies, uh, not just for each other, but, but for the listeners as well. Movies that they may have overlooked or heard about and never watched and, and, or never heard of to begin with, uh, to encourage them to go out and, and see these movies. And, and, and if we can contribute even a little bit to anyone seeing either or both of these movies, mm-hmm. then I feel like that is a, uh, a significant win for our culture and our lives uh, together. But more importantly, Duncan, it is uh, it is a point in your favor uh, this week, which uh, brings us to a one-point lead for you with your uh, crazy pants. Like, I want to tell you, here's a, here's a difference between Scotland and America. I will win any way I can. <laughs> if that is sabotage, assassination, whatever it takes... I'm going to win a season of Duncan and Bo come correct. Uh, even if it is not this season, uh, <laughs> it, a season will be won and the tactics are only going to get more underhanded. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of wanting to, I'm kind of wanting to close out this season, not using my winter beast at all. That's how confident I am. It's if you pull that off, first of all, what a jerk. Uh, second of all, that would be impressive. And, but I would use it. Like, if I had another Winter Beast, I would use it right now, and then I would use it next week, and then I would use it the following week. But I I don't have that. Uh, so, But your, your your crazy pants assertion that you are not going to pull a Winter Beast next week. Is... I'm not. I'm not. The 100%. I, 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 am, I am that confident that when you finish watching my movie, you will, you will accept overall defeat and me as your ruler. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I'm uh I'm excited uh I'm excited to watch it then. Uh, <laughs> and it like I'm I'm trying already to steal myself and say like no matter like even if I don't like the movie, I've then got to question myself like do I really not like this movie or do I not like this movie because if I do like this movie, <laughs> I'm really screwing myself. <laughs> Uh, this, show, this is what makes this show awesome is I don't think there's any show to the best of my knowledge that does what we do every two weeks which is like just really really kind of pile on two powerhouses of cinema and then agonise like put ourselves through mental trauma in the closing part of the show to try and pick a winner uh, knowing fine well that we've got to be back two weeks to do it again yeah, I know. As soon as this this recording ends, I'm grabbing my banjo and I'm playing. If you want to sing out, sing out. I'm gonna do a happy little dance uh, right down the stairs and probably off a cliff. Uh, <laughs> so I want remember, listeners, uh, when they ask, I want you to tell them that I was smiling. <laughs> uh, they will ask. <laughs> Oh man, Bo, the funniest thing in history is 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 that guy falling over with a bomb. It is, is like the greatest thing that's and the sheep. There is a fake sheep that flies off to the side. Yeah, no, I mean you're not wrong. And let's if <laughs> if you want to keep rubbing it in, fine. We'll devote a sidecast. It's just Duncan gloating. Um, God damn it. <laughs> 
That's what Chronicle is. Did you not know that? <laughs> it's just you're gloating. I've listened to every episode of that show, which is a fantastic show. And and if you have somehow hidden in coded insults to <laughs> oh. hurl my direction, I oh, think it's there. even more genius. They're, they're yeah. there. They, they are in there. <laughs> they, they, are, they are in there. I'm coming. I'm coming back in July with a new season of that show, and they're going to be even more in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's if you listen to the uh, the reflecting skin episode, it is a very thinly veiled attack on uh, my podcasting abilities. I was uh, te- like the reflecting skin is a movie that has twice, in my opinion, come up for consideration for this show. Well, I've seen it now, so well, well, that's what I mean. Like I, I held it off for Chronicle, and then you said you were going to watch it to obviously listen to that show, but it has twice over the last over the sorry, twice in the last two years been something that I had considered bringing forward to the show because um, I thought you'd like it. And it turned out you did like it, so I was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I, actually... I would have won it, but... Right, right. I'm now on a mission just to see everything to whittle down uh, your pool of movies that you can you can uh, pull from. The thing is, that, yeah, you know what, like, people don't know, but like, people don't know out there. We we talk about the the creative process for this show as being uh, we pick a theme and then the two of us make a, a list of movies which we then submit to the other one and we tend to put our strongest ones at the top because those are the ones that come to you first and there is not I sit when I send that list to you going please let them not see this movie please let them not have seen this movie and you come back and say oh I've seen this movie this movie this movie and I'm like God damn it Bo. Why did you watch these movies? Right. Why have you seen movies? How dare you? You're Damn your eyes. <laughs> You're yeah. making this show impossible for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. I was actually thinking about that uh, um, recently, that the deeper we go, like season three <laughs> is going to require some, some real prestidigitation. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm really I'm already looking forward to it. It's, I feel it's like have you have you seen David Cronenberg's um, yes. pseudonym documentary shot in 1945 before he was born in Berlin? Right. It, like, did you see the film that Hitchcock did before he was Alfred Hitchcock in a previous life? Yeah. Have you seen that? But oh, you haven't. Aha, well, that is my pick. Right. I got a lock. I'm not going to play a winter beast on that episode. Um, <laughs> a good impression of Duncan by the way yeah it's it just continues to get better and better as the hate grows um Duncan what are what are you going to be watching between now and the next time we talk so uh we we can put it into both my misery and that of our listeners (laughs) I've got I've got some really I I gotta sit down and think about my life for a little bit after this (laughs) that's never my intention it's never my intention I only want my heart to remain black I don't want the rest of it (laughs) What I'm going to do is just watch Harold and Maude and be like, you know what? It's okay. Everything's okay. That was just a new experience. (laughs) Um, A lot of David Cronenberg. I've still got about 10 movies to watch, even though they're movies I've seen before. I've got 10 movies still to watch um, and prep for that room table, which is being recorded at the end of the month. So we're a couple of weeks out from it. So plenty of time to do that. Plenty of time to get myself in the zone. I also have the book Cronenberg on Cronenberg um, to read as well, just to get myself. I want to be, you know what I'm like? I'm prepared. I like to be prepared. So I want, I want no curveballs in that show. Um, so I'll be doing a lot of that. In terms of like actual with that movie watching 
Um, there is that, but was it Hardcore Henry? Is that the... Yeah, 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 the the first person POV film, yeah. Yeah, it's at the cinema over here. I quite fancy it. I, I kind of held off just to see what the general consensus, consensus of critics were. Um, because if critics shit all over it, there's a very good chance I wouldn't go and see it in the cinema. I just wait until it made its way to VOD. Um, but it has been getting some surprisingly good reviews. So I'm quite tempted to go out and check that. So that's maybe the movie I will see before the next one. But there are other bits and bobs of, of the in the horror camp that have popped up. And uh, I need to make sure that I've checked out Tokyo Gore Police again. It's the first time in many years, so I can listen to Hero Hero Ghost Show when that next episode drops. Yeah, uh, that is a surprisingly... Filthy. Filthy movie, yeah. Yeah, it's because Misty's on it. Anything that Misty's involved with inherently turns to filth. Yeah, see, lady, so she is <laughs> there. Well, and also, especially when we're talking about a movie in which a vagina gator makes an appearance and... for president. Bo. I'm I'm with you. I mean, given the options that we have, and so it should uh, be vagina gator versus Black Phillip for president. I again, totally on board. Let's <laughs> let's hash this out. I would. Uh, uh, I'm actually going to run Harold and Maude for president. Quite frankly, oh. Uh, <laughs> right. Oh. <laughs> A biscuit. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna try to uh, get in a few more uh, Asian films. Uh, I, you know, I've been holding off on watching uh, Uzumaki. Oh, and I don't know how much longer I can wait. Um, I, you know, I want to watch it rel- relatively close to the recording of that episode. But I've really had a hankering to watch that movie lately. So much so, in fact, that I got the um, uh, Junji Ito manga, the collected Uzumaki. Nice. And um, so I think, I think I'm think i going to try to stave off uh, the watching of the movie um, by reading the, the manga. But then I've also got uh, some other interesting movies like The Red Shoes and... Um, uh, what, what else did I just get in recently? Yeah, doesn't matter. Um, oh, sick, sick nurses, uh, which Ooh. is a movie that is ridiculous, uh, and I kind of love that movie. So, um, I'm gonna watch that. And honestly, there's not a ton coming to the theaters until uh, Captain America hits. I know you're counting the days, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to watching uh, that movie. I, so. I'm sure if you're a fan of it, that it'll be. I think the advanced. I've read a, I've already read a review, a non-spoiler review, so it must be out there for like critics and media to check out. Um, said it is the best Avengers movie that isn't an Avengers movie. Yeah, and that's kind of my expectation for it. So yeah, I'm, and I know that, I know that you hold that movie in very high regard. So I think it's it's going to deliver for you what you want. I, I can't see. I can't conceive of any instance where me and you sit down after you've seen that movie and chat you know and I ask you what it's like and you tell me that I just didn't do it for you I think it's it's geared up and um, they've put a lot of groundwork in it this now this is the culmination of many 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 years um and it's going to give you what you want Bob. but yeah and I, it makes me happy that you're happy well that's very kind of you to say I I it is the thing that I, I probably said this on this show before, but one thing I learned about myself over the course of the past couple of years is that I'm more of a Marvel comics nerd than I am a star Wars nerd. 
So <laughs> if you you can equate like Civil War, op- the opening of that film to when like Force Awakens opened for a, a lot of other people. I did, let know, me, like let I me ask that. you this though: now that they've uh, <clears throat> without spoiling things, now that they removed one of the the aspects you were not happy about within the Star Wars universe making a reappearance and you've started, hopefully you've seen the trailer for the rogue one you can't tell me that you weren't excited for that movie you can't tell me that you're not like new story set in the same universe i can't wait for this movie i can't I, ha- I haven't watched the trailer for rogue one. Oh, you need to watch the trailer okay for, it's like it's like yeah it's, it's how it's how things should have been when phantom menace came out you know, like, we're, new slate. The slate is wiped clean. Let's introduce some new characters. Yay! That's but, what uh, it should have been. There's a scene where someone walks... There's, it, it's got... Oh, my God. It's got Akira Kurosawa ripping out it. There's oh, okay. Full, dress, right. like, full, like, full space samurai guys walking about the place and full kind of... Oh, it looks amazing. You're going to love it. All right. I'll, I'll check out that trailer. But it'll... It should be somewhat illuminating... To say, I haven't seen that trailer, but I've seen the Doctor Strange teaser like three times. I've not seen that yet. That's Is that the one with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch? Uh, Bumbledum Stumblebatch is Doctor Strange. Um, By the way, we never even mentioned was actually is, a cameo in Four Lines. Yeah, he's in it. It's kind of a blink and you'll miss it. Yeah, it's an early one for him. Very yeah. early for him. So. Um, that trailer has somebody punching the soul out of Doctor Strange's body. Sold. I'll watch that right now. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> like I, at the end of that trailer, I was like, "All right, I'm kind of curious what they're going to do with this." It, this seems like such a, a an un an unexpected and difficult enterprise to to bring in the mystical elements of the Marvel universe. And uh, I'm curious to see him do it. But I, I like uh, uh, Bimbledum Stumbletop. <laughs> uh, quite a bit. I think he's a good actor. He's a great actor. He's a great actor. He's, to me, he's the he's the the thing that really has my curiosity peaked for that movie. Would be to see him. Yeah, he's not the sort of actor I would expect to do a comic book movie at all. So if he's been attra- of... that, if he's been attracted to it, it makes me think it's not your standard comic book movie, which is why I would want to see it. Yeah, but I think that's kind of Marvel's game: is let's get talented writers and directors and actors to do a movie that's essentially pulp fantasy mm. and have them elevate the material. Yeah. And, uh, and I think for the most part, it's, you know, not always successful, but I would, I would say they're batting over 500 and, uh, and I've, I've been enjoying it. So, but I'll check out the rogue one trailer and, uh, and I still have yet to, uh, to see Baskin, which is a movie that I've been saying, I'm going to watch this movie. Yeah, and I, I'm, I think it's going to happen today. I've got so in in honor of the Cronenberg Roundtable, uh, the next thing on my list just just to tease it for our listeners and for Duncan himself, um, I'm watching The Brood today, oh. which I haven't seen in forever and ever. So I'm yeah. real excited to watch that again. And uh, and Spider is on the list for this weekend as well. I'd never seen Spider before until yesterday. It was a first time watch for me. Yeah, it seems like a real under the radar kind of Cronenberg movie. But I'm, I'm, you know, with all of Cronenberg, I'm interested to see it because even if I don't enjoy it, I'm, I'm curious to see what a director like Cronenberg finds interesting in the material. Yeah. 
you know, and that's kind of how I felt about uh, Fast Company. It was like, oh, I mean, this isn't a movie I would I would ever watch if Cronenberg hadn't directed it. Yeah, uh, FYI, I thought Spider was an incredible movie, so I'll be interested. Oh, okay. I, I, I genuinely, what was one of those ones again? <laughs> Harold and Maud, what to punch myself in the face? Why have I not watched this movie? Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, Duncan, where can they find you uh, between now and the next time we chat? Um, over at the podcast under the stairs, tputtscast.com. We are also on Legion Podcast Network where you're listening to this show. So uh, no excuse not to check us out. Over the next couple of weeks, you're going to get Baz v Horror 23. Baz is taking on cannibal movies. That's right. The cannibal subgenre with cannibal ferox, ravenous, and the green inferno. And uh, FYI, we're kicking off our first full franchise this year. Baz is taking a little look at Halloween because that's what our listeners wanted. Baz has never seen any of the Halloween movies before, so the first episode is going to cover Halloween's one, two, and season of the witch. Ah, oh, and that's where everything. <laughs> that's what. That's where that franchise should have finished. Um, so yeah, I can't wait to record that, and that is going to be fun hearing someone who knows nothing about it chatting about it so that's where you should check out that and like Bo said Chronicle's finished thank you everyone that listens to this show that checked out Chronicle if you haven't still plenty of time to do it exclusively on Legion Podcast Network returning in July excellent I am very curious to see what uh, what, what the Baz makes of the Druids uh, when <laughs> that enters the, the Halloween oeuvre uh, that's going to be pretty funny Buster Rhymes uh, is a thing for me that I think that's Buster Rhymes. I think is going to be the bit where he just loses it, and that I cannot wait to record. I'm sure that uh, we can all agree that he will have the Baz in check. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a deep dig for Buster Rhymes. I feel anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> you could uh, you could find this show and more at LegionPodcast.com. Uh, where you can also find uh, Hero Hero Go Show, which you have heard us talk about probably too much. Uh, I but to check out definitely yeah, percent. But, but check it out; it's uh, it's pretty fun, and and you might actually learn something. This is a show that, uh, unlike a- any other show I do, um, I feel like you could potentially come away from this a smarter person. <laughs> so, but probably not. Um, so we will be back in two weeks then to discuss uh, yet another pair of films as we do a gladiatorial cinematic battle uh, with Duncan and Bo come correct. We have two episodes left. We have one more regular season episode and then Duncan and Bo come incorrect, uh, which I want to remind our listeners was the, the episode that gave us winter beast in, in a public format. <laughs> And we will, of course, be commemorating that by uh, watching as a group, as a, a unit, as a community, uh, Winter Beast after the end of the season. And uh, stay tuned for dates on that. But we will uh, we'll get that all scheduled up. And, you know, we'll just sit down, fellowship, talk, and uh, let Winter Beast unfold before our eyes. If you haven't seen it, I you know, I don't know what to do for you. You, you should. Um, Winter Beast is like Winter Beast is the movie that wins everything, which is why we use it as our our, our token get out of jail free card on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, uh, as I said, we'll see you in two weeks. And uh, for now, good night. Say goodbye, Duncan. Bye, everyone. you'd known me when I was alive I was a funny bear
crowd would hoot and holler for more. I wore a drunk's red nose for applause. Oh, yes, I was a comical priest with a joke for the flock and a hand up your fleece. Drew in the drink and the lipstick and grease paint. Down the cardboard front of my dirty dog collar. Now I'm dead, now I'm dead, now I'm dead, now I'm dead. And I'm going on to meet my reward. I was scared, I was scared, I was scared. 